Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 276. 276. Yeah, that's our anniversary episode. Oh, we had a big anniversary episode last week. Oh, yeah? 275, yeah, me and Alex on our set. Because this is our reunion episode. Oh, for Alex? Because we've, we've been apart for like the last two weeks. Oh, for us? Yeah. Yes. So, yes. But last week when I was with Alex, uh-huh. you know, my other my other dude, um, <laughs> We, we celebrated briefly the fact that it was 275. Classic com- 275. Commemorated it. I said we had a uh, gatefold, foil embossed, die hard, not die hard, die cut. Ooh. Die cut cover. It would be great if it was a die hard cover as yeah. well. Die hard tribute cover. Yeah. It was beautiful. Trying to think of uh, issue number 275. Like Amazing Spider-Man, that would have been right before McFarlane yeah. like, really came in. Yeah. Uh, for Hulk, I remember Uncanny was Peter X- David, Uncanny X Men two seventy five. Oh, that's right. Was in like around the around like Bishop time. Bishop and Muriel Island Saga. I think it was right before because I think Bishop is two eighty one, right? Something like that. I think so. So that means two seventy five would have been. No, I remember. Oh, two seventy five was Jim Lee drawn Shiar story where Professor X comes back when they're fighting the Brood. Or no, they're fighting the Skrulls. For once, they I actually remember the that. It's 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 they have a gate. It was a gatefold cover. It was the X Men and Professor X fighting the Skrulls with the Shi'ar, and then Rogue and Magneto in the Savage Land. In the Savage Land, land yeah. Rogue and Magneto. And she's in the wearing Savage that like yep. tattered bikini. bikini. Yep, because she could touch people. It was all good. Yep. Nick Fury was there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now they're fa- it's coming back. The K's are there. Yeah. It was a like a triple gatefold cover or something. <laughs> Because of course. Because why not? Yes. So so that was last. That's week. the one I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> two seventy five. Uh, two seventy six is just another episode. It's just Gambit fighting Wolverine. Yep. yep. As you do. Typical things. Yes. So how have your travels been? Good. I um, last week I was in Los Angeles and what can I say? I went to Agents of Shield event. Right on. Where the cast was and it was really fun. They brought. Um, they brought uh, props from the show. Oh, cool. It was like a fan event. For what props. Um, so they brought two of Coulson's hands. Hmm. Um, Creepy. It was super. One one felt. Uh, Did they move? No. That would have been cool. But someone was like, it feels like a sex toy. And it did. And yeah. then someone on the staff, on the Marvel staff, she was like, oh, my God, how would you know that? And then another person on the staff was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's what it yeah. does. Yeah. It was just funny, like, seeing people's. Like levels of innocence <laughs> and, and and worldliness about things and yeah. just the weird experiences, and with sex toys. Yeah. Um. But of course the uh, the the hands were cool. It was like the black hand and like the flesh colored hand. Mm-hmm. Um. They had uh, Max shotgun axe. Oh, nice. Uh, they had a crystal uh, Terrigen crystal. I thought you meant Crystal of the Inhumans. No. But you know. I know. You I know. know. We will. I'm not gonna bring that up. Steer away from yep. it. Yep. Um. 
There were there were a couple other cool props. It was it was neat. It was That's fun. Cool. A lot of the cast was ridiculous and great. Yeah. Uh, then the next day, I went to. Uh, sorry, Daniel. I have to buy you another bell from Beauty and the Beast pen. Oh no! I just borrowed a pen from Daniel Ketchum next door. That you swore door. you were gonna give back. And I will. Yeah, but I now I have to buy ruined. another one. Oh man! Anyway, yeah, uh, going right along. I went to a, uh, a recording session for one of our upcoming video games. Mm-hmm. Um, so we recorded some stuff that we will actually be using on this week in Marvel. Nice. Also on Thwip, the big Marvel show. Cool. Um, and it was really like the stuff that we filmed for Thwip with me was super stupid <laughs> and pretty great. Uh, but we'll we'll pepper in some really interesting stuff. And then the the interview stuff that we did was was really cool. Just talking to voice actors about like playing their roles and and getting into that field which voice actors so are fascinating they're fascinating people yeah it's particularly the ones who almost do solely voice acting as opposed to just you know an actor who happens to be moonlighting yeah on a voicing gig but yeah they're very interesting yeah, they're great so they do amazing work just watching them actually perform i was like oh cool so my my bad scottish accent can't cut it here oh man that must yeah. have been heartbreaking yeah it was a little it was a little rough a dream shattered. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, I had some meetings and some cool secret stuff. Cool. And it was all good. It's all good, man. Well, yeah. we're glad you're back. Yeah. And now we uh, we return to form. We dive into our comics for this week. Yeah. I'm going to kick things off with all new Wolverine number 17. So written by Tom Taylor. Art by Digibral Morissette Fan, who I have not uh, seen before, but they do an excellent job. Um, we've got Angel, we've got Gambit, we've got Gabby, and they're all basically trying to calm Wolverine down in the aftermath of her being in Madripoor and her having trigger sent. And to me, this this issue just kind of like tugged at the heartstrings. Um, they bring in Jean Grey, and the whole idea is they're going to try to deprogram Laura mm-hmm. from being controlled by this trigger scent. But they, number one, they have a little bunny. And Gabby basically says... Oh man, th- these lines are so great. When Gabby, they lock Gabby, the bunny, and Laura in a room alone together, and Laura's like, "What are you doing? I'm gonna kill that bunny." And Gabby's like, "No, you won't kill the bunny because you have to go through me." Um, and basically, the whole idea is that Jean Grey is gonna well, like, because Gabby has trigger scent, she's gonna pour it and she's gonna let Laura go crazy. And she's going to keep her busy long enough for Jean Grey to mess around in her head and hopefully fix her so she doesn't, she's not affected by trigger scent anymore. But the two. Well, just to yeah, back up, go on. If you're not fully familiar with uh, All New X Men, Gabby is this Laura's sister, mm-hmm. you know, another clone, right? Yeah. Um, Gabby is Laura's sister. She can't feel pain, right? But she has a healing factor. Exactly. Um, so she's kind of. She understands what she's getting into, but still, like, think about, like, knowing that you could potentially kill your sister mm-hmm. if you go too far. Right. And Gabby's taking that risk. Because, yeah, and Laura is, of course, shocked by this because it's, and like you said, she feels no pain. She has a healing factor, but that doesn't mean she can't be killed. Correct. She can absolutely be killed, but Gabby is trusting her. She has a great line where she just goes, you can't hurt me, Laura. I can't feel pain. I heal and I love you. 
Oh, it was oh, oh. so. That's like I you know Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, right there. I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then the kick. Uh, and then the kick. So Jean goes inside Laura's head. We flash back to her and her mom uh, reading Pinocchio. The way Tom Taylor layers the Pinocchio stuff on top of what's going on with Laura, masterful. Um, as a big fan of the original, like X23. Oh, they're gonna say of the original Pinocchio story. As a big fan of the original Pinocchio. You know what? Actually. Pinocchio terrified me as a kid. The cartoon? Yep. Or the story? The cartoon. Because I've never read the story. I don't know anything about the story. I've, I've never the read the story either. Cartoon. Like, cartoon those is, old school Disney cartoons. They're very scary. It's good. Like, yeah. you know, get a little fear. But you know what got kids. me? It was, it was when they all get turned into donkeys. Oh, yeah. Something about human transformation into animals <laughs> freaks me out. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Willow? Yeah. You know the, the scene where they get turned into pigs? No, it's been there's, a long time. There's a scene where everyone gets turned into pigs. Okay. And to me, it is one of the most terrifying scenes in all of cinema. Okay. It just freaks me out. I don't know why. All right. All right. Um, and I'm like very sensitive about it. So heads up. Okay. Good to all know. Right. Good to know. Um, we got Angel and Gambit. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, kind of running interference because S.H.I.E.L.D.'s after Laura. Because she destroyed a whole town a couple of she, years ago. She, without like totally you know not in control of her senses and faculties she mm-hmm. was triggered into murdering a full town yeah so she's got so much weight on her it's yeah. just it's it's crazy uh we get some tiger tiger yeah tiger tiger nice. burning bright always nice to see tiger tiger i really like how um and again i don't know the artists the, the, this is a new artist for me but how morissette draws angel's wings mm. it was a small detail but i think that's like that they just look so cool you know what I want us to do? Mm. Next time we have some editors who are working on like books that have characters who were affected by the Black Vortex. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to them about like who gets, you know, cuz like some character like Gamora burned out her Black Vortex sure. powers. Um, I think Kitty Pride had Black Vortex powers that kind of didn't get acknowledged very much after. I don't know, but like some characters still have them, yep. some don't. Angel's keeping his wings, which I kind of like. It's, I like it's like it affects everyone differently, yeah. and it, but I I, I like the finality of it. Yeah, but I also like the idea that you know just it, it's affected some characters yeah. in different ways. I dig it. Um, I think Angel and Gambit. It's cool that Laura has built up the supporting cast, um, and it's just I'm not going to spoil the ultimate outcome of what her whole plan of Gabby and Jean's plan, whether it works, whether it doesn't work. I think I've already told you guys enough to entice you just based on yeah. the feels. This is um, the good book. It's a really, really good book. And I'm just, I'm so into Laura as the all new Wolverine. I think she's really made the role her own. Tom Taylor's done a great job of like making her a big part of the Marvel universe. And I just dig that book every month. Hell yeah. Yeah. Another book I dig every month, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer Supreme, written by Robbie Thompson, art by Nathan Stockman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was super psyched to see that. Hell yeah, Nathan I was, Stockman. I was, so fr- I was at first bummed because I didn't see Javier Rodriguez's name on the cover, and I yep. love Javier Rodriguez, but then when you get me some Nathan Stockman, that is a good substitute uh, any day. I'm psyched to see him working more. Definitely. Uh, Colors by Tamara Bonvalain. And so this is, so each of these issues focuses on, like there's this broader narrative that Merlin has gathered Sorcerer Supreme from different time periods to come together for a big mission. We're getting, every issue gets you further and further along in that mission. You've got their forgotten, uh, some crazy big powers, some different things that they've had to deal with. Merlin being dead Mm -hmm, and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. But within those issues, we also get focuses on individual characters 
uh, each time. So um, this issue focuses on Turd Ferguson himself, <laughs> a.k.a. Sir Isaac Newton. Oh, the best. Man, he is a D-bag. He's the worst. He's the worst. And I, I don't know a lot about the real Isaac Newton, but I'm very curious if he was like a jerk in real life, and this is like a historically known fact. As you know, I'm not big on history. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Robbie Thompson took all all of this yeah from history yeah 100% true. this is totally autobiographical well biographical yeah. not autobiographical yep that would be weird um so we get to see like some early I love moments. the apple visuals too yeah because that's Newton's whole thing yeah he's like yo you like apples yeah how about dem apples yeah right and then great. he puts it up you great. know what I mean so great yep uh <laughs> <laughs> We've got um, we get to see a little bit of Sir Isaac Newton's childhood and growing up and formative experiences, which you know, like he was getting picked on, he was being abused, he was you know letting sheep get murdered by foxes, you know, all the all the all the bad things, stuff, all the standard. Right? Um, yeah. But it's interesting because that like we see that in the beginning of the book, all those moments come back in the end in a moment in a way that I just love Robbie Thompson I think he's mm -hmm. a fantastic storyteller and he does a great job of weaving these things in but we also get to see Isaac Newton as Sorcerer Supreme which I thought was great that was cool it's, you know like what like 30 years before Doctor Strange yeah. like 40 years I don't like you don't we don't know history we don't know, we don't know. we're not historians That's guys not what we're paid to do. listen to the Bowery Boys exactly they know their stuff yeah. if you want <laughs> Sir Isaac Newton's history you listen to the podcast about New York City yeah and ask them why they're not talking more about Isaac Newton and his history 100% yes uh, we get to see Isaac Newton facing off against Dormammu Shumar Garoth uh, very briefly I know, but, but we get like, it. Uh, there's this he two-page spread. He had a full tenure as Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, there's this two-page spread, and kudos to Nathan Stockman and Tamar Bonvalin, because it is dope. I love Nathan's depiction of Shuma Garoth here. Mm -hmm. He's got, like... So cool. Shuma's got this, like, his eyes closed, and it gives, like, what is essentially... He's, like, squinting. An eyeball with, like, tentacles. This giant right. monster has this... I took it as, like, a... Like, uh, he's just looking at him... With like disdain and like yeah. he's got his eyes closed. I get that. Less squinting, more just like ugh, this guy. Yeah. But like to be able, which to, is how most people respond to Sir Isaac Newton, right? As they should. He's a sir, right? Yes, he okay, is. Okay, great. But like to be able to do that and get that emotion across in a giant monster like that is mm -hmm. just great work. It's beautiful. And this two-page spread is just gorgeous. But we get to see that Isaac Newton has been looking for the word of God, this thing that he's been trying to find. And he, it takes him to uh, an area of the dark dimension called the Never Hills, mm. uh, where he runs into Doctor Strange and Clea. Oh, so obnoxious to Clea. Oh, and Clea holds her sexist. own. Sexist. He's such a he bag. Well, what would you expect from Isaac Newton when you think, what are his views on women? Probably terrible. What are his views on anything? Probably awful. He's a bad dude. He's the worst. Uh, but Clea and Doctor Strange are fighting. Um, these crazy things. They they walking death. No, they what are they called? Um, yeah, I guess they're just called death gardens. Death so gardens. like these these walking death gardens. Yeah. That uh, did you just name them? What you just named them? No, it's kind of they reference it. I thought All there right. was an official name, but I guess not. Um, it's pretty good. But they they're having this fight, and Clea and Strange are all flirty and mm. like you know pinching each other's butts, and yep. it's great, it's cute, as and you do. Yeah, and Isaac Newton's like, oh, 
You two. Ugh, romance. And he's like, oh, time for this. I've got to go. Discovering gravity. <laughs> I've got to go deal with that. Yeah. The best is he points, and it's a giant castle floating oh, in the God, sky of Doctor Doom's like faceplate. Yep. And it is incredible. And Doctor Strange is like, Doctor Doom, <laughs> what? Uh, what the cool thing is here you find out that in here time doesn't really have the same meaning it's that's how they're all able to exist together uh how dr doom and isaac newton and all this other stuff happens together Mm -hmm. and clea of course smarter and more capable and she's home Mm -hmm. this is her she's from the dark dimension um is like you know telling them what can what they can do and dealing with some problems and isaac newton's like Oh, your assistant is great. Yeah. Oh, man. If Clea should have punched him in the junk. Should have punched him in his cool-looking dome hat. <laughs> yeah. What is that hat? How do you even describe that? I don't know. I love that design, too, because it's so, too. like, weird. and reminds me of Maker. Yeah, um, it should, because, yeah, he that's Reed Richards. Well, Reed Richards, when he has that helmet on, it's because his brain, brain goes is, backwards. Uh, with Newton, he's just... A douche. Yeah. Uh, but he's <laughs> figuring out, he's trying to find this this word of God, and Dr. Doom is also trying to do the same thing. He's got this creature captured, um, which will write down this word of God, give this ultimate bit of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, things get crazy, and you know, you'll see where that goes, but it keeps Isaac down this path, um, which really does lead him eventually to what we see in uh, in the beginning of the series. We get to also see him fight this giant awesome monster. Mm. Again, Nathan Stockman just killing it in some of the monsters here. It's this huge, like, 40 is that, foot- his, is that his crotch? Uh, I think so. It's, I feel like it's... Or his stomach. It's more his stomach. His stomach, all right. It's like a Quatu... Like oh yeah type thing of course you know like but less as, as you as less you do. pronounced yeah you know or like you know Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles a little bit of Krang but it's all one it's a one piece yeah you know it's a onesie yeah uh, anyway it's fantastic and you get to see how uh, Merlin and Isaac Newton you know link up and how they're connected here but this throws everything right back into the search for Isaac Newton for the rest of the team because. He turned heel, mm-hmm. and he betrayed them all. He did. He yeah. went Seth Rollins uh, on the shield on them all. Yeah. There yeah. we go. All right, moving right along to Fool Killer, which you guys know I love. It's written by Max Bemis, uh, pencils by Dalibor Talajik, inks by Jose Marzon Jr., colors by Miroslav Marva. This is issue number four, and again, I just I think it's such a cool concept. Uh, Fool Killer is such an interesting character. The therapist, who is a former super criminal former mercenary now trying to be a good uh, psychiatrist and basically set people on the right path but he takes on these horrible clients um, and he can't help but kill them he can't help but murder them you know he's like I'm gonna help these guys and he was enabled by a, a fake shield agent and some other stuff but this issue he's got Deadpool Uh-oh. and Max Bemis writes a fantastic Deadpool just ranting and raving with his mask off he captures uh, Fool Killer's girlfriend and basically forces Fool Killer to give him some therapy meanwhile the other Fool Killer the hood yeah the, the hood. The other fool killer uh, is meeting up with the hood. Who's look at look at how great Dalibor Talajik draws oh, the hood. So cool, man. Just like really shadowy and just like grimy, and you can't see his face, but you know something's going on because he's got a hood on. Yeah, he's got a hood on, so you can't see it. Uh, we have just so many great gags with fool killer and Deadpool interacting with the Uncanny Avengers. Uh, I love Quicksilver's line saying, "Go away, with Wade Wilson. You reek of anchovy and the need for approval." <laughs> great line. Um, 
Full Killer's girlfriend gets involved a couple more times. The relationship kind of deteriorates over the course of this issue because she's basically like, look, I like being your girlfriend. I have strong feelings for you, but because I have you in my life, uh, all these terrible things from my past are getting dredged up. Ooh. I'm getting kidnapped. I'm getting held for ransom by Deadpool. Um, and we just have like just Deadpool's ongoing conversation talking to full killer like basically giving deadpool actually plays therapist more than full killer in this issue so deadpool basically says like this is this is why it's not your fault this is why you're okay and they just show up in random places like they're in a bathroom they're in a library they're at a yogurt rally uh there's a yogurt rally and mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure that's jordan dy yep, that's jordan dy and heather heather uh Antos. Great. Yeah. Um, always we, getting drawn into the comics. Yeah. Jordan always getting drawn into the comics because Jordan has a very comic drawable face. I got this mustache. You have a great mustache. Why is it my face in more You should comics? be in more comics. Dang I agree it. with you. you. You definitely look. I'm in video games, whatever. It's yeah, fine. you're fine. You chill out. Suck it, JD Dub. Um, so I love I like I like it at one point where Deadpool goes, well, I've never told anyone that story. I feel a bit naked. Wait, can we actually do this naked? Because I feel like <laughs> it might bring up some. And it's just jokes, jokes, jokes. But the underlying thing is, for me, what makes this comic work is that beneath all the humor, and it's very funny. It's a funny book, and it's quick. It just moves It moves like quip to quip to quip. It reminds me of the show Happy Endings, which I'm rewatching right now. Did you ever watch that? It, who is in it? It's uh, Damon Wayans Jr. No, because I watched The New Girl, right. and he was on... Uh, New Girl for a while. And then he was on Happy Endings. He was on, and then, then he came, was on New Girl. Yeah, and so I, I thought he's amazing. He's, he's hilarious. So funny. And I've heard the Happy Endings was great. So good. There's it's on one Hulu. Season right? No, there's three seasons. Oh, it's on Hulu. Oh. we're rewatching it right now. Oh. The reason I bring it up is because it has that same like kind of snap, snap, snap. Sure. Here's a quip. Here's a quip. Here's a quip. Here's a quip. No mm-hmm. real time to like catch your breath, and that's how Fool Killer is. But what I like is that underneath all of this, much like Deadpool. Uh, the way Jerry Duggan writes it, there's this underlying thing of a guy who's just lost. And he really, in in some ways, he's Deadpool before Deadpool got it together. Right. If that like, that's a scary enough concept. <laughs> um, but he's just trying to get it together and he wants to do the right thing and he wants to be a hero. But he has an addiction and his addiction is killing fools. And he can't uh, he can't stop himself. He wants to. He wants to be better. Uh, we got more with the hood and the other fool killer. And then uh, we have the last page. This is the penultimate issue of the series. Mm. And Full Killer shows up and just lots of dead bodies in his wake. Basically, like, I'm here for the final bleeping reckoning. And he's going to uh, have it out with the new Full Killer and try to get his house in order. Sounds like a party. Oh, it's a party, all right. Also, Ain't no party like a Full Killer party because a Full Killer party kills fools. Ooh, pretty good. Um, on to Kingpin number one. So good. So oh. good. This is part of the Running with the Devil. A uh, little bit mini event, I guess we could call it. Uh, it's just like a new, it's like a mini imprint. Almost. Yeah. It's yeah, very cool. Daredevil, Kingpin, and Bullseye. And, and Electra is still coming. Yep. Uh, so this first issue written by Matt Rosenberg. And Killing it. I know, man. Uh, art by Ben Torres. Mm-hmm. Colors by Jordan Bird. Now, straight up, this art is wonderful. It is it really It reminds great. me of Eduardo Hiso. I was going to say that, too. I was not going to pronounce it correctly, but yes. I was going to say his name. Because I believe he's Brazilian, and mm-hmm. they produced, pronounced the R as an H. Got Whatever. It. Eduardo Hiso. One to learn. Um, 
uh, Frank Miller at mm-hmm. times. Yep, sure. Um, there's definite like there's this page that I keep going back to, especially in the eyes that um, Torres draws. Uh, here, this reminds me of Frank Miller and Joe Quesada. I get that. Uh, and I for sure like. I just named three of the greatest comic book Seriously, artists of all that time. That is high praise. And, and, this is a, and this is a new artist. Yeah. Um, and so Ben's work is great. Thank you. He's. <laughs> uh, it's just this. It's just, <laughs> that, was a, that was a big laugh yeah. for a little joke. <laughs> you popped me. It's good. Right. Uh, but so the, the book is gorgeous. Storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, Ben's really, really great. Matt Rosenberg, uh, you know, full disclosure friend of mine yep. so I, I've, I've been you know rooting for him and cheering for him and i uh, am not a friend of his and i'm no. here to tell you objectively that he is right that this he is he's the goods yes uh this week was his birthday oh, so i are recording this last night i wished him happy birthday nice. told him that the book was real good uh and the book is really freaking good it opens on um introducing us to sarah dewey who is a yeah. new character she is a reporter and um you know she's She's now reporting on boxing, but she's reported on world events and all kinds of stuff. Uh, throughout the issue, we learn that, you know, like so much of her life, but it's done in ways that is really just smart storytelling, like explaining who she is, her family situation, her history, the problems that she's gone through, where she is, finan- like all these little things across the, the full book without having to get into like right. super exposition heavy things but it's a brilliant move to give like a new character a point of view character for a kingpin book because you're obviously not going to do a kingpin book from the point of view of the kingpin right i just don't think that would work it would be very like just awkward and unwieldy but introducing this new character and we get to see kingpin kind of through her eyes and that's going to be a lot of what the story is made up of that's it's just a brilliant move yes um so sarah dewey she's you know reporting on boxing and she gets approached by wesley one of mm-hmm. uh wilson fisk aka the kingpin's uh minions. people's uh, assistant or minion feels too small mm. like i I think there's like levels and I feel like a guy like Wesley is higher up. Right. Um, so Wesley is going to pick her up and she's like, wait a minute, this guy, uh, this sounds bad. And she comes to him while he's in the middle of training and just, that's a classic Kingpin thing too. Like we show him. Yeah. He is destroying multiple dudes. Yeah. I feel like that's a thing I've, I've seen before. Yeah. I like the title of the, um, story too. Born against. Yeah. It's pretty smart. It's, one, it's pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Yes. Two, it's the name of one of my favorite hardcore bands, oh, no which way. is also one of I'm ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure one of Matt's favorite hardcore That's bands awesome. as well. I didn't even notice that until now. Yep. I've been listening to a lot of Born Against lately, mm. just because of the way I feel about the world these days. Mm. Anyway, okay. back to the book. Back so, to comics. Um, Kingpin is in there. He's in his gi, and he's just destroying these dudes. It's awesome. And the way Ben draws Kingpin is he is so massive his arms are huge his hands are just gigantic he is this massive a man but yet he still feels like he fits in with you know like in this world and these regular people it's just a really cool like look to him he does yeah. a great job portraying Definitely. kingpin and i think the thing that really starts sticking out at me throughout this book is this feels like kingpin but also like someone else you know what i mean like like he's trying to be something different sure and that's sort of what he's doing here he's looking to sarah to try to tell his story he 
has been through so much. He has been killed, yep. brought back, you know. Hey, who hasn't, right? right? You know, that's that's just life. Standard stuff. Yeah. He's been, you know, at the top of the mountain. He's been. King of the hill. You know, eating pork and beans. Uh, he's been doing Sle- all the Slept in an alley, eating on porks and beans. I don't <laughs> sure. know, man. Uh, anyway. I haven't botched that one that bad in a while. <laughs> he's been all over the place. But. He wants someone to tell his story, write a book. He's got a deal for a book. Yep. He's not going to be able to do it. Cause what, what, a, what a great world where Wilson Fisk can get a book deal. God yeah. bless the Marvel Universe. I know. He gets his book deal. He needs someone to do it. And he admires her writing because she's he's she's liked his uh, her writing. He's liked her writing on politics, mm-hmm. on boxing, and all this other stuff. And he says, you know what? I'll, come with me to this event. You know, you, you hang out, you see what my life is, where I am, the people I'm yeah. around, and then you decide if this is the right gig for you. There, also, you need a lot of money. Yeah. Here's some money. Well, that's another neat element to her is that she's kind of fallen from grace, as we learned throughout the story. Like, she was not reporting on boxing because she wanted to be. It was because uh, her alcoholism basically cost her her career and her family. Yeah. And that's what we learned throughout the issue. So she's not... It's not just like, oh, here's this innocent point of view character coming in. It's There's this very flawed, very broken character who you can contrast against the Kingpin somewhat. Yeah. Um, so she goes, she, she, there's this just, I like, there's scene after scene in here I love. Also, she lives in Morningside Heights, right. which is, you know, like sort of an area in Harlem-ish mm-hmm. type. It's below Washington Heights. It's right up there. Yeah, sure. You can see where I'm pointing, yeah, right? I know, I know where you're going yeah, yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so... I just I like the way it's placed within the world. They also go to Twin Donut. Mm-hmm. Twin Donut real? Twin Donuts are real. Oh this particular God, one, I'm that. sure it's real. But we have two Twin Donuts in my neighborhood. Very cool. And and do you you watch Saturday Night Live, right? Of course. So the yeah. skit, the the Dunkin' Donuts skit that they did a couple weeks back when it was Casey Affleck was on, mm-hmm. uh, that was actually filmed at the Twin Donut in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They just pretended it was a Dunkin' Donuts. Mm. Anyway, Twin Donuts, magnifique. Um, so there's this cool scene. She gets, you know, she's got these dresses. Kingpin gave her something to wear to this event. And then it's just great. You go to the Montauk Club in Park Slope where it's Hobnob Central. <laughs> she's got to be with Kingpin as he talks to all these different people. Um, and it's it's really, it's great because you can see him, like, being the Kingpin that he, the, the Wilson Fisk that he wants to be mm-hmm. in some respects here. Just, you know, drinking champagne and talking to people and just... Talks a lot about how he loves the city. Yes. That's a, that's a key point for the Kingpin. For they, sure. They note that he was, of course, out in San Francisco in the last Daredevil series. Mm-hmm. Now he's back in New York. And that's kind of... That's central to his character. And that's a that's what makes him a Magneto, Doctor Doom kind of villain, as opposed to a Red Skull kind of villain, is that at his heart, he does want to do what's good for New York City. He just has a very specific view and kind of twisted view of what is good that's a very good point yes yeah yeah yeah. he's and he's a very marvel villain like Mm -hmm. very layered and 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 very interesting um in this in this party you know you've got interactions that are both positive and negative around wilson fist she runs sarah runs into uh uh, daredevil Mm -hmm. but matt murdoch in a civilian disguise it's great interaction yeah like it's just really good and like very like a little bit ominous and like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Is this, this is Fisk's party that he's throwing, right? I think so. Why did he invite Matt Murdock? He doesn't know. Oh. Because no one knows. Right? Oh, that's right. No one knows. So he's just like. I feel like even without the Daredevil aspect, though, like Wilson Fisk has had run-ins with Matt Murdock. 
He's you know what? He's trying to clear his plays like I guess so. hey, everybody hug it, bring yeah. it in, you know? Like right. that's his new his new way of going about things. Mm-hmm. Um but she's you know, she's trying to figure out what to do. And then it leads to this great scene where Wilson just comes to her mm-hmm. late at night and is like Let's just go. Let's go talk and hang out. Let's get some donuts. Yep. There's a twin donut scene. There's just all these little bits of talk, and uh, they they almost get mugged. Wilson is like giving uh, giving the mugger some money, a watch, mm-hmm. all this other stuff. Sort of, I I almost thought that the mugger was a plant. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We'll Maybe. see as we go along. But I thought it was just this great way of Wilson Fisk bringing someone in to his side of thinking Mm -hmm. showing that there's a better way to do things uh his way of doing things i i loved it it was a fantastic first issue yeah um lots more to come from this and of all the stuff we talked about there's still so much more in that you'll get out of it yeah Yeah. for sure we didn't even scratch the surface of kingpin um but let's try to scratch the surface of unworthy thor number four scratch the surface is also named one of my favorite hardcore songs is there anything that's not one of your favorite hardcore bands or songs no God, it all comes back to hardcore. Oh, my God. All right. So this is the fourth issue of Unworthy Thor. It is written by Jason Aaron. It has the artistic talents of not just Olivier Coipel, but also Kim Jacinto, Fraser Irving, Isad Rabik, and Russell Dowderman. What? What yeah. is going on? And then you open it up and boom. Yeah. Fraser Irving. Get dropped right into this gorgeous Fraser Irving drawing of young Thor when he was trying to uh, pick up the hammer before he was worthy and his mother having a talk with him. Um, and then we flash to the present where he's on the collector's ship. Uh, Proxima Midnight and Black Swan have invaded. Him and Better Ray Bill are trying to keep them away from the ultimate Thor hammer, which Collector also wants. The art is amazing. I gotta give credit to Kim Jacinto um, because at some point Kim Jacinto takes over from Olivia Quapel, and I could not tell you where because it all looks the same and it all looks great. Yeah, um, I, I think also part of it is giving shout out to Who's um, the colorist? The colorist, Matt. Yeah, colors are Matthew Wilson, yeah. Matt Mila, and Fraser Irving. Um, not sure. Two I, Matts and a Fraser. Yeah, I think Matt Wilson's the one who's doing the main okay. portion of it, and he just does an incredible hey, job. M- really maintains that consistency. Then we go to another flashback to the private quarters of Thor, and this is drawn by Asad Rabik. First of all, Thor in repose just looks like the studliest of studs. Oh, man. You better just, not touch that page because oh it's God. hot, hot, hot. Beef cake. And then Jane Foster comes in wearing nothing but a bed sheet. Yeah. And I love this. This is great Jason Aaron stuff where Thor is staring at his hammer. And and I do not mean that as a metaphor for something. He's literally or staring. Do you? He's literally staring at his hammer, Mjolnir. <laughs> you know what? Maybe he calls it Mjolnir. You know I don't know. Whatever they do in their spare time. <laughs> I would I bet he does call it Mjolnir. <laughs> I would. Little Mjolnir? No. <laughs> Big Mjolnir. <laughs> I think oh, we got to move on. Great. We got to get going. Um, <laughs> definitely there was some bones on action, though, we should oh, say. 100%. Here. Definitely bones on action. Yeah, 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 I love yeah. This is probably my favorite scene of the book, not just because it's drawn so beautifully by Asad Rabik, but just because I love the contents, which is Thor talking about how he's afraid of his hammer. And he's basically said, and Jane Foster's like, why? Why are you afraid of your hammer? You're worthy to lift it. You're all set. And he goes, no, because every time I look at it, I'm afraid I might not be worthy. Like, I have, he has to, and it gives you kind of some insight into Thor's head that he puts all this pressure on himself. He has to be worthy every second of every day or he can't use his greatest weapon. I love that. And I thought that was so humanizing and so great. And, and there, there's a great moment in here where Jane's like, 
because you're thinking that that's that why is you're, why you're, you're the, worthy you're the one who's right. worthy and when you lose sight of that that is gonna yeah. but we really see how thor being unworthy and this whole title the unworthy thor it's his worst nightmare his worst nightmare is not something to do with loki or ragnarok or anything like that it's not being worthy of lifting his hammer and in a larger sense thus not being worthy of being a hero because he knows he could potentially go down the path otherwise he's done it before when he was younger um you go back to now there's more great action it's it's nice that it's just like these action scenes punctuated by these little flashbacks and then we get the flashback to just a few months ago after thor lost his hammer so he is already odin's son at this point now jane foster's there and she's suffering from cancer and it's a very it's such a different interaction it's like oh my god look where these characters have gone you had this kind of like bright reassuring scene where she's like Thor, you'll always be worthy. And he's like, ah, oh, shucks, I guess I will be. And then he takes you directly to, no, he's no longer worthy. And the nice contrast is he's staring at that, he's staring at a stone just like he was in the other scene, but now there's no hammer there. And, of course, we know the dynamic has changed because we know, even though he doesn't know, that Jane now has the hammer. Although I don't know in this scene if we necessarily know if she's gotten it or not. I think there was a small period of time where maybe she didn't Yeah, it could have still been on the moon. It could have been yeah. before she talked to Freya. It's not important, though. It's just like... He is so distraught. He has seen his worst nightmare come true. He is ready to just give up. And she tries to give a pep talk like she did in the other scene, but it worked in the other scene, and it does not work here at all. And it's it's heartbreaking. And then we come back to the very end uh, with Thor, and he's got Tooth... Na- is it Tooth Nasher or Tooth Grinder? I've, Which one's he got ooh, with him? Ooh. I don't know. I want to say it's Nasher, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I hope the other one's okay. I love... Um, I love... Thorey. I love Thori, but I also love Jason's uh, words where he says, um, a supreme, I am not worthy and I am irritable. A supremely dangerous combination, especially when one has an enchanted axe, an arm of black Uru, and a large hungry goat. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Thori tries to pick up the hammer. Uh, but the Thori's yeah. dialogue is just like... It's, it's it's funny. It's there for comedic effect, but it's so so cute and so fun and yeah. awesome. It adds like a bit of light into this otherwise like dark and like you know there's like danger sure. and all this stuff. Yeah, it's it's very unexpected and like even the way we were talking about Matt Wilson's colors earlier, but he colors the whole book dark. It looks like a storm cloud. It's perfect for Thor, who's the god of thunder, but it like everything looks like if you look outside today, you notice like when it's almost going to rain and the sky is covered. It's raining? Yeah. Great. Um, When it's raining or just about to rain and the sky is covered in clouds, there's a certain tint to the world. And that's what it looks like here, but it's like the extreme thunderstorm of it all. And it all brings us to this last moment where Thor has his hand on the ultimate Thor hammer, has not started to pick it up yet, and we're going to find out next issue, I hope, whether he's worthy or not of the ultimate Thor hammer. And it's just, it's brilliant. This book is just so hard-hitting great stuff yeah this is you know as much as people love walt simonson and his run on mm-hmm. thor like this is this is going to be remembered this is going to be uh, up one there. of the all-time greats you, we you know when you're reading jason aaron on thor that this is some it's the same as reading like dan slott on spider-man yeah. jerry duggan on deadpool this is going to be a seminal piece of work yes Character defining. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, all right. Last book for me alone is Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. Number 17. Yep. Uh, written by Ryan North. Art by Erica Henderson. Also, there's uh, some panels in here drawn by Chris Schweitzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, colors by Rico Renzi. And uh, So 
before you get into it, yes. can I tell a quick anecdote about meeting Squirrel Girl? So this past weekend, um, I was at a diner in Jersey. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I made it, finally. Yeah. Um, I just got back. <laughs> a diner in Jersey. There's one every yeah, 10 feet. I know. You can't trip without falling into one. Um, but I was – I my wife was working, so I was, like, just getting stuff done during the day. I went to the gym and um, posted about it on social media and then <laughs> because I need validation immediately whenever I work out. Um, but I went to this diner, and I'll, I'll go there sometimes, like, when I'm just hanging out on my own, and I'll bring comics with me, and I'll just, you know, order some lunch and read comics and my next the next one in my stack was unbeatable squirrel girl it is impossible to try to eat and read unbeatable squirrel girl at the same time because there's so much going on yep. and you need your full attention yeah so that was that's my anecdote is that <laughs> i could not eat my hamburger and read squirrel girl at the same time i'm just incapable of it so i waited <laughs> till i got home curled up in red squirrel girl where i could fully appreciate it nice yes i read this one last night and it opens with a little comic <laughs> drawn by nancy uh it's a comic about cat thor meeting dog hulk which is terrific you've got uh dog bruce banner mm-hmm. who says i'm a good boy mm-hmm. uh it's Really, really great. It's a really funny little comic. Uh, we pull out and we see that uh, Squirrel Girl wants to take Nancy to a lecture. They want to go and, and see this uh, this this woman who's going to talk about some uh, some crazy stuff with computers and, and potential robots and AI and all this other stuff. Things that Nancy and Squirrel Girl are super into. Um, also, there's the the new character who's in here. They just introduced a couple of uh, issues ago. Mary, right? Um, brain drains there from, as well. Yeah, brain drain. Sorry. Yeah. Um, don't don't, just, don't drive past brain drain. Yeah, brain drain has a couple great lines in yeah. this too. Um, but we get to see like this lecture. You get a little bit about it. Squirrel Girl uh, obviously knows a whole bunch of stuff. I learned about this bridge in Canada. Yes, and, like, I knew nothing about this. I, I can this only is a assume fascinating story. it's all 100% true. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Makes uh, sense. And, and the importance that Canadians give to their engineers mm-hmm. uh, and like the the responsibility and the power that goes <laughs> with the engineer. Yeah, that goes along with creating something that essentially puts people's lives in, in their hands. This is It's a great lecture that yeah. this woman gives um, and she comes around to, I like that Squirrel Girl avoided saying with great power comes great responsibility, yeah. but the lecture comes out and says with great power comes great responsibility. Yep. And talking about how it just as she applied it to engineering, it can also be applied to software because this is something that affects people's lives in a deep, meaningful way. Yes. Um, so the woman giving the uh, the lecture is Melissa Morbeck. Um, two M's. Double M. Classic comic book character. It's a comic book character. It's, it's actually brought up in Ryan's uh, little yep. notes at the bottom. Yep. It's yep. really yep. great. But uh, Morbeck invites... Doreen to come talk a little bit more. She sees a kindred spirit. Mm-hmm. There's this great moment where Nancy's like, you, or, or Mary says, you singing her song, you have a mentor. Yeah. <laughs> I cracked up at that one. That was really funny. And they need to dress, uh, Nancy and Mary want to dress Doreen up so mm-hmm. she can be presentable. And, yeah. you well, know. because she's going to high tea. Yes. Uh, and Doreen's like, um, my regular human clothes, just like always. And they're like, yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, and it's, <laughs> the best is the next scene. She's wearing like a, a Southern, you know, like a Southern bell, a Southern ladies, you know, tea outfit. It's yep. great. She's got this hat on this pink dress. It's wonderful. Um, but the, the woman, um, 
explains that she knows Doreen's secret. She yep. knows that she's Squirrel Girl. Yep. She also has powers. She mm-hmm. can talk to all animals. Yes. Which is great. Uh, she proves it with this chicken. And Alfredo. Yeah, Alfredo. Right away, I was like, something's up. Yeah. Something's up with this chicken being named yeah. Alfredo. I, uh, I caught on to that early, Ryan North. Thanks for laying it down. Uh, but Melissa, the the woman with the powers, she's she's got these powers, and she wants Squirrel Girl. She wants to do something for Squirrel Girl. Mm-hmm. Squirrel Girl's like, wait, do you want to team up? Do you want to be like uh, like this amazing? Squirrel Girl loves teaming up with other people who talk to animals. It's yes. like her whole thing. And then she's like, no, 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 no. Oh, you want me to team up with Alfredo? And then she's yeah. like, <laughs> it's just this great series of stuff. Um, really good. And then no. Maureen is rich and she wants to uh, help Squirrel Girl be a you know more capable superhero. Mm-hmm. She wants to help her do something that Squirrel Girl She wants to help Squirrel Squirrel Girl fly. Mm. And so we get this amazing page of Squirrel Girl in a new costume. She's yep. got wings like a mm-hmm. flying squirrel. It's just so great. And she and Tippy Toe then go and fight the Rhino, which is one of my favorite superhero supervillain fights in comics so good this was like it's like five pages and it it ends in a moment that i just absolutely love i will not mm-hmm. spoil it but it is fan friggin tastic it's really really good and we get to see a little bit more of melissa and some mysteries uh by the end of the issue plus the final page of the book is this like almost silent fight scene and it is fantastic yeah i love it's between a bear no, and a chick no, no all right it's not between a Bear and a chicken. Or is it? Or is it? You'll have to read to find out. It might be. All right, those are our three picks for the week, guys. Those are each of our three picks. A request you guys made of us was to also cover the big event books that are coming out. So we we are we are here. We suffer at your pleasure. Um, your wish is our command. And we are happy to do that, of course. Um, and in this case, this week, Inhumans versus X-Men number four came out. So we're going to talk about it real quick. It was written by Jeff Lemire and Charles Soule. Art was by Javier Garon. Um, we've got the new humans trying to make a siege on Muir Island so that they can try to free the royals. The royals are all captured in limbo. Um, they work out a way to potentially get out of this shield that's been holding them. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty clever. It involves some thinking. Um, one of the things I loved about this book, this issue, was that it's a cool spotlight for Mosaic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is totally. a character I really love. I love that book. Um and this is like spotlight yeah. mosaic and you know like getting a sense of like what he can do and and sort of who the character is i thought was really cool it throws some really big challenges in him basically mosaic is charged with going to muir island and taking over magneto um, to learn as much as he can about what's going on with the mutants and what their plans are for the inhumans there's also something i love is that not most people don't know who everyone is mm-hmm. like Mosaic is he kind of knows who Magneto is just right. because he's been a major terrorist figure for sure. most people know, know him a, a long time been in the spot but he's like oh the blonde girl is devoid it's like not everybody in this in these communities knows everyone yeah, I is. like that it makes it's an, sense it's a, it's a nice beat and it's nice where yeah reader basically tells him he's like if you see a blonde girl she's a telepath get out of there yeah, so he sees Emma Frost and he goes and it gives us this great Javier Grown draws this great <laughs> panel of Magneto possessed by Mosaic just going, I uh, got to go to the bathroom. And it's hysterical. Uh, Mosaic really, really shines in this issue. Um, It's it's so cool to see uh, Jeff and Charles get to write him and pick up on what Jeffrey Thorne's doing in his book and really 
cool respect for the character. Uh, there's a great Colossus moment okay. in here. So the Colossus moment in here yeah. made me think of Thor in um, in Avengers, the uh, Kurt Busiek and um, Oh, when when he fights Ultron? When they fight Ultron, when yeah. when Thor's like costume and tatters yeah. and the rest of the team is there and Thor just like Ultron, we would have, have words, words with thee. The, yeah. That was the kind of the feel I got from that. Basically, Colossus, uh, they they light the school on fire. They light a dome of fire yeah. around the school. Is it Inferno who does it or is it the Torch? I think it's the Human Torch because yeah. he has more control over his powers. Colossus is the only one in limbo. And I love the fact that Storm basically calls him up and says, look, Colossus, we cannot help you. We need to find Forge immediately. We got stuff to do, so you're not getting any backup. And uh, Colossus, great line. Is no problem, Aurora. Just wish to clarify. Yeah, he's like, all right, I just want to make sure I understand what I'm dealing with. When Colossus is a badass, he's oh, really a true And he's got that badass. dope beard looking so Yeah, he's so got the beard, cool. so it looks good. Um, so he basically, Human Torch puts a dome of fire over the school in Limbo, and Colossus just strides through on fire. He goes, all right, my friends, who is to be first? <laughs> so, you know what it took me back to? It took me back to... Um, Astonishing X-Men. Yeah. When, like, the Joss Whedon, John Cassidy run, that classic moment where uh, he's fighting Ord, and Ord goes, oh, you think because you're made of steel I can't hurt you? And he goes, I am made of rage. <laughs> it's such a great moment. Hell Another yeah. great Colossus moment. There's a great Cyclops moment here, too. Young Cyclops <laughs> cracked me up. Um, there's some... I like how there's a mix of just heavy, heavy coolness and then underlying humor yep. as well in this book. Yeah. So... If you guys are enjoying it, please continue to enjoy Inhumans versus X-Men. All right, we got some other books to touch on. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows, number four, written by Jerry Conway, art by Ryan Stegman, colors by Sonia Obak and Jesus Abertov, and letters by Joe Caramagna. Uh, Brawl in the Family, part four. It's the Spider-Man family in their final showdown against Mole Man and all his mole monsters. There's lots of great underground sequences. Uh, Annie proves her worth. And hopefully gets to keep her costume and gets to keep being a superhero because she's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Black Widow number 11 by Chris Somney and Mark Wade. Colors by uh, Matt Wilson. This is Black Widow versus the uh, the Dark Room Girls, as they're <laughs> called. Uh, in, I like that. Yeah. In, <laughs> the Dark Room Girls. Uh, yeah, it says so in the, I know. In the intro. It's great. Uh, the Dark Room Girls in uh, an Antarctic shield base. And this was a t- this was a close one for me. Yeah, seriously. This, this is a really good book. It's again, I it too. Wade and Somney are... They're like slowly becoming like one of the teams that is l- going to be legendary in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I just want them mm-hmm. to never stop working together. Mm. Oh, so good. All right. And then we got Dark Tower, Drawing of Three, The Sailor, number five, written by uh, Robin Firth and Peter David. I almost said written by Colin Firth. Can we get Colin Firth writing <laughs> hey, something well, for us? I'll call him after this and give be like, the, hey, Carl, do you want to yeah, write some comics? Give, give him a call. Um, Who's Colin but, Firth? He's an actor. He's a British actor. Is he in Bridget Jones? Yes, he's in Bridget Jones. I know who he there is. There you go. Uh, and we got art by Juan and Ramirez. Um, it's it's continuing the Dark Tower saga. It's continuing it past the books, giving you extra information. And uh, this is the only place you can find it. Also, the only place you can find a merged Deadpool and Howard the Duck would be in Deadpool the Duck, number three. Written by Stuart Moore, art by Jacopo Camagni, colors by Israel Silva, letters by Joe Sabino. Um, Deadpool is just, 
he's just on a rampage in Howard the Duck's body. He's taking out Roxxon installations. He's trying to get the cure for Rocket Raccoon because Rocket Raccoon has space rabies. And it's just, it's bad news. I, you know what? I love it. <laughs> I love that it's like space rabies. Space rabies. It's so great. Meanwhile, Howard the Duck is in the negative zone. This is where he's been shunted to. He can appear as a floating head talking to Deadpool. So he's basically a voice in Deadpool's head and he's trying to persuade Deadpool to do something responsible, work with S.H.I.E.L.D., try to get their bodies unmashed, uh, at the very least cure Rocket of his space rabies. There's this cool thing where uh, Roxxon purchased an island that was supposed to be um, it's, I don't know if this is real or not, but it says in 2003, the United Arab Emirates began construction of a series of artificial islands called the world. And they created artificial islands in the shapes of different countries. But in this case, Roxxon has purchased the one that used to be the United States and just made it into a big double X. And uh, <laughs> Deadpool the Duck uh, invades this island and finds a big canister labeled space rabies and he's about to <laughs> smash it and unleash it everywhere where Howard the, Howard the Duck pretending to be Wolverine uh, jumps in and says no don't do that you gotta put Rocket Raccoon into there so you can cure his space rabies but unfortunately there's also a bad guy from the previous issue who we thought was gone who is not gone yep. who's coming back to get him I love the way Jacobo draws uh, uh, Howard oh yeah like, so great his when he does, is so good when his eyes get all googly oh, and stuff like that so good adorable yes alright on to Dr. Afra number four written by Kieran Gillen pencils by Kev Walker inks by Mark Deering colors by Antonio Fabela uh, and this is still on Yavin 4 as Dr. Afra and her crew are uh, now at this point trying to make their escape it's fun there's explosions there's violence with uh, BT and Triple Dub what more could you want <laughs> Triple Zero uh, yeah I you know, it's great. Uh, Black Chrysanthemum just, you know, saving the day as he does. He's an awesome Wookiee. But now the team is going to a new planet to look, you know, for more of these, you know, their mission, the archaeology business. And, like, they introduce this cool, really weird-looking planet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's creepy and crazy, and I love it. Doctor Strange Punisher Magic Bullets number three. You guys should totally be reading the infinite comic version of this, but if you prefer print, you got it here as well. It's written by John Barber, storyboards by Jason Moore, art by Andrea Brocardo and Dominique Domo Stanton, colors by Andres Mosa, letters by Clayton Cowles. Maybe my favorite part of the whole issue is just this cameo at the beginning by the Phantom Eagle, who of course is the World War One fighter pilot, uh, who Garth Ennis has written stuff about, but Doctor Strange, Punisher, and their hostage get their hands on his plane. And as we have learned through Last Days of Magic, there is no more magic in the world, so they need to use magical artifacts if they want to do anything Sorcerer Supreme. Um, that's a word. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so when they get Phantom Eagle's uh, plane, it's a magical thing. It allows them to see things that normal people aren't seeing because the... Uh, the brother and sister who have been turned into demons, the mobsters, are trying to create an army, a super gross army of monsters. And Punisher and Doctor Strange can see what they're doing because in Doctor Strange's case, he's in the plane. 
in the Punisher's case, he grabs the Gatling gun from the plane and just starts shooting people. But when Punisher loses the Gatling gun, he can no longer see monsters yeah. and he tries to fight them without it. It's kind of cool. They do this effect where you see black and white if you're in kind of like the magic, you have magic vision. Um, the two mobsters get betrayed by the guy who they trusted, who turns out to be a real jerk. I mean, come real on. Real bad piece, piece of bad news. Come on. Um, but they've got their army. There's tons of demons. Punisher's going at them. Punisher and Doctor Strange have the great back and forth where they're just, you know, the complete odd couple. It's likely the weapon. It's just likely the weapon. Yeah. Which right. which one is which? Yes. Yes. Riggs and Murtaugh. Great. Good, good answer. <laughs> All right. Guardians of the Galaxy number 17 up next, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Valerio Skiti, colors by Richard Eisenhoff. Um, so this is part of Grounded, where each issue focuses on a different member of the Guardians of the Galaxy who is stuck on Earth. This one is about Gamora, um, and she has found out that Thanos is still on Earth in the Triskelion that Captain Marvel, her friend, has not told her she is, one, pissed off, two, ready to go murder Thanos. Mm, mm, mm. To stop her, they send Ms. America, Spectrum, Aurora, and Sasquatch. And there's just this well, crazy Puck fight. too, or no? No, no, no Puck. Right. Not in this one. Uh, but Maybe I just didn't notice him. The, uh, there's this, like, fangirl moment for um, Spectrum where mm-hmm. she's just like, man, she's awesome. She's yeah. the most dangerous woman in the galaxy. She's yeah. the best. Uh, it's just really fun. <laughs> it's a great battle. Uh, they think they could stop her. They don't. They can't stop her. They do stop her, uh, which leads to her being captured, uh, having a little sit-down and a talk with uh, Captain Marvel. She's, you know, sort of reached her chances. Um, the... She, our Imperial Guard, have come to take her and, and, like, get her off Earth, like, deal with it, get her away from Thanos. Uh, but things get crazy by the end of the issue. It is fantastic. It's really, really cool. It's, like, crazy action issue, too. Not only do we have Guardians of the Galaxy number <gasps> 17, we have Marvel Universe Guardians of the Galaxy number 17, which uh, adapts the hit animated series. In this case, the episode We Are the World Tree, written by oh, Margaret I get it. Scott. You get it? Uh, directed by James Yang, adapted by Joe Caramagna, and featuring a guest appearance from the one and only Thor. Yeah. Uh, we've got Jessica Jones, number five out this week. This is Parental Advisory. Oh, I should have gone after you. That's okay. No big deal. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Michael Gatos, colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Um, so this is still, you know, dealing with all kinds of crazy stuff in here. Uh, Jessica is on the case of a dude who maybe, maybe not killed his wife. Um... And in here, we get the big confession. The big confession is a lot bigger than... Oh, my God. I had no idea what was Like, this dude, the reason that he kills his wife, he explains it all to Jessica Jones. And And he does it, like, stone-cold serious. Until right at the end, and he starts breaking down in tears. And I thought, oh, so... It's intense. You've also got Luke Cage talking with Ben Urich, because Luke is pissed. He doesn't have the... You know, he doesn't know where his baby is. Mm -hmm. All kinds of crazy stuff. But... By the end of this issue, Jessica is getting a little unhinged by the things she's learning, the things she's dealing with, the things she's trying to cope with. It's mm-hmm. tough. It's really, really tough. All right. On to Ms. Marvel, number 15, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Takeshi Miyazawa, and colors by Ian Herring. Um, in here, we are introduced in the beginning to a new character, uh, a new uh, someone at the school who has some, for some reason, Mm. um, she has private pictures that she sent to her boyfriend, and now everyone has seen them. And it's, you know, she's really embarrassed, she's really upset, but our crew, uh, Kamala's crew, embraces her, 
But the thing that tips us off is that she says, like, she never, like, they, they kept these pictures private. There's mm-hmm. no way that these should have gone out there, which leads us back to the main thread that we're dealing with. Ms. Marvel is, she's being stalked slash um, abused by someone through the internet, first through her video game, now through, like, these wild goose chases. She is sent after this woman, this construction worker woman, uh, and to this crazy fight, which, yeah, you it was know, really like, weird. yeah, it was a really cool, really weird fight, but, like, this woman is crazy powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ms. Marvel is able to take her down, but then the woman has no recollection of what's going on. Yeah. So doesn't remember the fight. By the end of the issue, we find out that Ms. Marvel is facing something even bigger. Yeah. Power Man and Iron Fist, number 13, written by David F. Walker, art by Elmo Bondock, colors by John Rausch, letters by Clayton Cowell. A lot going on in this book, as always. This is, this is besides Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, probably like the most packed book of just stuff oh, yeah. going on. And David Walker, kudos to him for just taking all these old, forgotten villains and characters and making them awesome and a key part of, uh, key part of the Power Man and Iron Fist story. So Piranha Jones is dead. Luke Cage is at his funeral, which I love. He has a conversation with Cornell Cottonmouth. We're basically... They're all trying to figure out what are they going to do because Tombstone's gone crazy. He's killing people. Uh, Alex Wilder is making a power grab but maybe doesn't have the control he thought he did. Um, So Luke and Danny are kind of caught in the middle of how do they deal with Tombstone, how do they deal with Alex Wilder, and how do they deal with all these ex-cons who are trying to make good um, Black Mariah is whispering in Alex's ear. Yo, she and, is grim yep. worm-tonguing the she hell is, out of She things. is totally worm-tonguing him. Um, and then the other thing I really like is there's this conversation between Luke and Danny. Oh, well, first of all, there's Senor Magico. Oh. Always got to bring up Senor Magico. I love Senor Magico. Yeah. I love this conversation that basically recaps the whole series of Danny saying, like, Luke, I'm sorry. Like Jessica, as as in Jessica Jones in Power Man Iron Fist, Jessica is not with Luke anymore, and Danny blames himself for everything. He says all this terrible stuff that has happened to you. It's my fault. I'm so sorry. I wanted us to get back together as a team. It's been terrible ever since. I'm so sorry. And Luke just looks at him, stares him down, and goes, "You finished." And then explains how they're gonna go and take down the bad guys because that's what they do. Yeah. Put your crying, Danny. Yeah. Stop whining. Yeah. We're gonna go do our thing. The Black Talon was in there. Black Talon gets involved. He looks. Really, I love the way Elmo uh. Bondog draws the Black Talon and also the uh, powered up Alex Wilder. So next issue, as as with all these issues, we're gonna have like three different sides colliding. Tombstone, Wilder. The heroes, it's awesome. Yes. All right. Also awesome is Totally Awesome Hulk, ah, number 16, written by Greg Pak, art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Nolan Woodard. Um, this, you know, repercussions of the last issue where the the crew of um, Amadeus Cho with Ms. Marvel, Silk, Jimmy Woo, Jake O, and Shang-Chi mm-hmm. fighting the, like, the, cr- the Imperial Guard of Seknarf-7. Uh, these dude... Things now have escalated. Seknarf 7 crew has come back to Earth, and they, um, you know what? They say you will, they tell the humans you will die with great honor. You will be consumed by your overlords. And they're talking literally. Oh, yeah, they won't eat them. The Seknarf 7 dudes are going to eat people. They're cannibals. Yeah. Well, that's not necessarily cannibals. No? They're just, because that would School mean me they would. This. Cannibals would mean they would be eating them their own kind. Oh, um, yeah. So they're just carnivores and. Okay. The humans are humans there. Humans are considered prey. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so this, you know, the team, awesome job. Uh, Amadeus obviously goes a little, uh, you know, 
crazy on his own, mm-hmm. does some of his own stuff, uh, but it seems like it all works out in the end. Uh, 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 it was all a... It's a trap. <laughs> and uh, the, the team has been taken uh, eighteen over 18 million miles from Earth to Seknarf 7, um, or, or just off Seknarf 7. Uh, they're going to be consumed. They're, they're here to be, you know, food. And there's not much they could do about it. They're depowered and, and, you know, downtrodden. But there's this amazing moment. I will not tell you all of it, but this crew comes together. They brand themselves. They give themselves a name. Uh, it's friggin' awesome. Yeah, it's great. This is a terrific issue. I would have chosen it. It was really close on my list. Finally this week, we come to Uncanny Inhumans number 1MU, written by Paul Allure, art by Brian Level, color by Jordan Boyd, letters by Clayton Cowles. This is the Inhumans tie-in to Monsters Unleashed. Uh, there's two gross-looking monsters attacking Rome. Uh, really nice job design-wise by Brian Level, who I think is another new artist. Um, this story is really a lot about Swain. Uh, fortunately, mm. Crystal gets taken out early, so I don't have to read about her. Um, and we've got Medusa and her crew taking on one monster, but then Swain and um, the injured Crystal and all these civilians trying to run away from another monster. Swain trying to use her mental powers, which are to get in a, someone's head, in this case the monster's head, kind of nudge it into doing what she wants. But the monster kind of taints her a little bit. Ooh. So she uh, she becomes crazy, um, and she's trying to fight back for control. She's trying to beat this monster. She's trying to protect these people. She's trying to keep herself sane. And uh, all the while, the Inhumans are looking for the group and trying to help them out. Uh, but it's really a very cool Swain story. If you enjoyed the character and all the Inhumans, you'll like this special look at her in uncannyinhumans.mu. She's great. Yeah, great character. Yeah. All right, collections on sale this week. Um, we've got all new, all different Avengers, Volume 3, Civil War 2. Avengers K, Book 4, Secret Invasion. So, it's, again, this is Korean adaptation yeah. of American comics, and Very they're taking cool. on Secret Invasion here. It's awesome. I just got mm-hmm. their collection o- mm-hmm. on Friday. Uh, Cloak and Dagger, The Shadows and Light. I don't think there's a the in the actual. I don't know. I think it's just Shadows and Light. Fair enough. Anyway, old school classic Cloak, Cloak and, Dagger. and Dagger. If you're excited about the upcoming uh, Freeform TV show, just get some get some cloak and dagger in your yeah, life. Yeah, get it on. Yeah. Uh, we've got Daredevil Omnibus Volume 1, Ghost Rider Wolverine Punisher Hearts of Darkness. Yeah, it's here. I've never read it. What? I know. I'm going to borrow it. Dude. Dude. Yeah. Dude. Dude. The original one shot, I still have. It's a prestige format mm-hmm. back in the 90s. Howard Mackey written, I'm pretty sure. And sure. John Romita Jr. drawn. Oh, a- I didn't know John Romita Jr. drew it. Oh, yeah. And it's. Ghost Rider, Wolverine, and Punisher at the height of their popularity yeah, in like sure. 1991 to whatever it was, mm-hmm. facing off against uh, uh, Mephisto's son, Blackheart. Blackheart. Yeah, I've read that issue probably a good 20 times. I just kept reading it when I was a mm-hmm. kid. So good. And this also has a uh, another story which I have not read. Mm. Uh, I guess a follow up. The sequel. Yeah. Ron Garney art. Oh, yeah. Very nice. So I'm yeah. Definitely pick that up. It's really, really cool. Uh, Invincible Iron Man, Volume 3, Civil War 2. Marvel Masterworks, Uncanny X-Men, Volume 10, hardcover. Marvel Universe, Guardians of the Galaxy Digest, Volume 4. Star Wars, Darth Vader, Volume 2. And Star Wars Legends, Epic Collection, Volume 3, Empire. Digital comics on sale this week. Everything we talked about, as well as Doctor Strange Punisher Magic Bullets, Number 7. That's an infinite comic. Also available on the Marvel app this week, we've got Gen X, Number 1 through 5. Omega the Unknown. Wait, what is Gen X? 
Gen X was that uh, Chris Claremont written series that okay. spun out of when he was doing Exiles. No, it spun out of when he was doing. Was it called X Men Forever? Or it was it was the one. Oh no! He, remember when Chris Claremont did like the eighteen issue X Men: The End? X Men: The End. And, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This spun out of X Men: okay, cool. The End. Um, so Gen X number one through five, Omega the Unknown from 2007. Farrell Darrymple joint, get up in that. Yeah, very cool. Soldier X, uh, aka Cable, number one through oh, eight. Oh yeah, oh that that is a really good creative team too. Yeah, it does. I remember those covers very vividly. Very nice covers. Um, and Spider Man Breakout number one through five. Digital collections on sale this week. All new, all different Avengers Volume Three, Civil War Two, Avengers K Book Four, Secret Invasion, Cloak and Dagger, Shadows and Light. Ghost Rider, Wolverine, Punisher, Hearts of Darkness, which we just discussed. Invincible Iron Man, Volume 3, Civil War 2. Marvel Universe Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 4. Star Wars Legends Epic Collection, The Empire, Volume 3. Uncanny X-Men Masterworks, Volume 10. Spider-Man and the New Warriors, The Hero Killers, uh, which took place... It's kind of related to our Tomb URC, which we're going to get to later hmm. in this episode. Um, same, similar villain and uh, similar creative team. Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, Volume 3, My Secret Life. Spider-Man Dr. Octopus, Year 1. Wolverine Dangerous Games and Wolverine Flies to a Spider. Nice. And on Marvel Unlimited, we've got Civil War 2, Kingpin, Number 2. Daredevil Annual, Number 1. Deadpool, Number 16. Deadpool, Too Soon, Infinite Comic, Number 3. Deadpool v. Gambit, Number 3. Doctor Strange number ten, Infinite, uh, Invincible Iron Man number ten, twelve. Ooh, that's a good title. I know. We should do Infinite Iron Man. Get Brevoort on the phone. <laughs> uh, Marvel Sumsum number one, Marvel Universe Avengers Ultron Revolution number two, Moon Knight number five, The Punisher number four, Saga of the Submariner one through twelve. It's a eighties uh, limited series when uh, oh, oh, twelve issue limited series maxi series. Well, <laughs> um, it's it's one of those ones that says on top of the first issue number one of twelve. Like it literally says from the beginning. It's Intense. Be twelve issues. It's very cool. I never read it. I, I never read it either. Crazy. Uh, Silk number eleven. Spidey number nine. Squadron Supreme number ten. Uncanny and Humans number twelve. Uncanny X Men number eleven. Venom Knights of Vengeance one through four. That's a Venom uh, team up with Vengeance, the crazy Ghost Rider. Super Spike dude. Yeah, Super Spike Ghost Rider guy. Yeah. Venom Separation Anxiety one through four. That was like one of those early nineties. Yep. Uh, it's a video game on it. The sequel right. to Maximum Carnage. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, vote Loki number three and X-Men Origins Wolverine number one. Very cool. All right, guys, just to give you an idea of what we've got on the rest of the episode, we probably should have done this at the beginning, uh, <laughs> but if you've made it this far, we're going to take it to the West Coast with Strami and Christine, and then we're going to have a very special Twim URC where you and I are going to talk to Fabian Nicieza. As long as our technology works properly, technology works, both of us are going to talk yeah. to him. Otherwise, it's just going to be you. All right, one way or the <laughs> other. We're going to go test it right now. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, we'll we'll come back with that Twim URC, and then we'll wrap things up. We'll come back and do questions and comments. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Very cool, cool. cool. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, baby. Yeah. Hello this week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom, joined by... Assistant editor Christine Dim. Und via Stromstein. And I'm not doing the fake German accent this time, <laughs> so let's just move on. We got a lot to cover. At least Christine tells me we've got a lot to cover. I am my usual, I don't know what day it is. Anyway, uh, let's kick things off with uh, what's going on on TV this week. Of course, we had a new... Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's very explosive. Very explosive. 
Uh, it was appropriately entitled Boom. Um, of course, lots of setup for next week. So next week, things really, the next two episodes are really sort of like, they're kind of, eh. They're kind of like one block. It's like just like one big finale to everything mm-hmm. that's come so far in the series and really sets up everything that is uh, going to happen in the rest of season four. It's some very, very exciting stuff. Nothing much I can tell you about yet. It's very dynamic. It, it, things start happening very, very quickly at this point in the season. Let's just say that. This week in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back again this week. <laughs> Yay! There's Yay! a little bit of an unplanned hiatus due to a... Number of unfortunate scheduling snafus, and it seemed like the podcast was cursed. But we're back. This week we talked with the v- series VFX supervisor, Mark Kolpak, once again, which is always a great interview because particularly if you're interested in some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, a lot of the stuff that doesn't necessarily always get uh, get covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a great interview because he's very informative, really wants everyone to understand how everything that goes in, and, and he talked a lot about just how complex... Uh, the um, effect of Shockley exploding and then... Spoiler! Well, yeah, all right, fine. Spoilers, (laughs) Shockley explodes. And then he reconstitutes himself. And and just the mechanics of how you do that from a VFX perspective was insane. It's it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Go listen to that. Of course... That, that wasn't the only TV we had this week. We had Legion. Legion is finally here on FX. Mm-hmm. We had the series premiere this week, the mind-bedding uh, extra-sized series premiere. Yes. Um, it was bananas. Pardon? It was bananas. Oh, it was bananas. <laughs> it, there's, there's a lot going on in the series. Mm-hmm. I think it's something really unique, something that we haven't seen from uh, a Marvel show yet. Mm-hmm. Um it's very, very, very interesting. I think you guys are in for a super awesome ride it's with an this awesome show. Cast. Noah Holly, showrunner of Legion, who uh, is also the showrunner of Fargo on FX. Great cast on this series. I mean, you've got Dan Stevens, Rachel Keller, Aubrey um, Plaza, Katie Asselton, Gene Smart, uh, Jeremy Harris, Bill Irwin, Amber Midthunder, all phenomenal people uh you can listen to our conversation with some of them on the latest uh this week in marvel mini podcast mm-hmm. that came out a few days ago and we've we, got red carpet interviews yes. on youtube and social so yep. so um, you can hear from pretty much everyone yeah. at one point or another um <laughs> pretty much everyone involved in the show was interviewed <laughs> by us at one point or another so you can catch all that we also have a special episode of ask marvel with star dan stevens mm-hmm. So you can check that out on our YouTube. We've got tons of Legion stuff. Of course, tune in next week. The second episode premieres next Wednesday, 10 p.m. on FX. Um, check that out. And We still have so much more TV news. Well, tell me more TV news, Christine, because I am not. Well, we announced casting for Cloak & Dagger. We Oh, that's right. We did. Olivia Holt and Aubrey Joseph as Tandy and Ty. Um, it's gonna be on freeform. Yep, it's um, it's gonna be really cool. And then I know we'll have more news once that starts up. And we also announced Marvel's Runaway. Head to Marvel.com. We announced uh, the six you know teen heroes mm-hmm. of the series, the and we have titular all their uh, Runaways. Uh, you can check all them out. Um, 
I've gotten to meet a couple of them and see them in action, and uh, uh, it's. I, th- I think I think the group is going to have a really cool dynamic. I think I yeah. think it's a really great cast. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. See everything come. Pretty pretty yeah. much pretty much all I can say about that yeah. show at this point is the casting's great. Yeah. To cap things off for my television, we have Marvel's Iron Fist exclusively on Netflix March 17th. But this week we showed both the official trailer and. And a really awesome, total badass Colleen Wing clip. Yes. Yes. That, uh, God, that's coming sooner rather than later. Yeah. In a month. Oh, a boy. month and a week. A month and a week. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, everyone, you've got that to look forward to in just a month and a week. Because evidently we don't know how to stop making television. <laughs> Um, and we also have tons of film news for you guys. Oh, God. Just keep going, Christine. Okay. So... There was a big sporting event this past weekend, and during this set of events, we saw the a really cool preview for Guardians of the Galaxies Volume 2. That's true. That's true. And there were a lot of awesome emojis floating around, uh-huh. custom emojis that you could uh, that you could <laughs> that you could use to spice up yep. your Twitter feed. And like Baby Group. Yeah. And there was a new poster, new poster for yep. this for the film as well. Yes. So we have that, and then. Um, we have a video from James Gunn about Marvel Studios Hero Acts. You know, submit your photos. Um, be entered to win a red carpet ticket. Oh, started production for Black Panther. Black Panther started production. We'll see a lot of cool things coming out of this set. Uh, and what else we got? What else we got? Uh, we also have, we announced Hasbro Legends toys coming out of Spider-Man Homecoming. We have a bunch of previews of the six-inch toys, which is cool. Lastly, Doctor Strange coming up on Digital HD next week for Valentine's Day. What perfect way to snuggle up with your, your significant other than watching this trippy, mind-bending film. Bear in mind, both Christine and I are single, so you may not want to take Valentine's Day uh, advice from either of us. I mean, what other way to tell someone you like them than learn from Strange telling Christine Palmer what she needs to him? Yeah. We uh, debuted a a deleted scene where we see Casilius contacting Dormammu, so... You can check that online, and we'll have a bunch of more clips and features to showcase what you guys get from the digital HD as well as the Blu-ray DVD, Blu-ray combo 3D packs. Yeah, tons of different special features. That's that's, that's all we got. Great. Okay, good. Because I got to get back to work because (laughs) this is a very long day. So thank you all for listening. Oh, we'll have our next Twim URC is coming up. Um, We will be doing X-Men Legacy number one through six by uh, uh, Cy Spurrier and a number of artists. I love Uh, Cy. It focuses on Legion, of course. Uh, I don't know why we would be reading a comic book about Legion right now. No idea. It just it just seen it the the um after last night like the I just had this sudden urge to <laughs> read about Legion. Don't know why. Oh, it might have been because Legion premiered last night. That could have been influenced. But join with us uh get to learn a little bit more about David Hotler. It's a really great series. Um uh, looking forward to talking about it.
Uh, say hi, everyone in New York for us. And until then, toodle pip. All right, everyone, welcome to the Twim URC portion of the show, the This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club. Uh, it was a real treat this time around. We got to read an old New Warriors story. For anyone who's listened to the podcast, you know how much I love the classic New Warriors stuff. We read one of the very best stories, uh, Forever Yesterday, which is a three-parter from early on in the run by Fabian Nicieza and Mark Bagley. basically deals with a, a new female sphinx going back in time, rewriting history, and... Uh, the Warriors have to come together in this alternate reality to set things right. And besides me and Ryan, hey Ryan. Hey. We've also got with us today on the line none other than the writer of this story, Mr. Fabian Nicieza. Fabian, welcome to This Week in Marvel. Thank you very much, guys. It's a pleasure to be here, and I especially appreciate you calling it old warriors and classic stories. Because <laughs> <laughs> you automatically make me feel like an old man. Thank you. We- would Seminole be better? <laughs> Seminole would actually be a little bit dicey. I would watch go. that. <laughs> All right, we'll watch out on that. But uh, no, man, this is, uh, I, was, I was telling Ryan earlier, the crazy thing for me is that, as you know, because we've met and we've talked about my love for New Warriors before, um, but when I was a kid, I had parts one and three of this story, and I never had part two. So I actually read part two on Marvel Unlimited for the very first time ever a couple of days ago. So I had literally 20 or so years of not, um, not knowing what happened in part two and just kind of relying on part one through three. So, and, I, <laughs> and, and the mess, and that whole mess still made sense to you having yeah. read one. <laughs> yeah. Wow, no, back, I, that's back to the days where we had to recap everything in absolutely. panels and captions. So as much of a slog as it might be, at least, at least you were supposed to be informed every issue. I felt like I knew what was going on. I just, it, it hurt me later when I read like the letters pages in later issues and they referred to all this cool stuff that happened in part two. I was like, Oh man, my comic part two was all the, part two was like the explanation of all the alternate history, right? How it happened part- and how like, Pages and pages and pages of like fake history. I was doing. Well, that. no, no, the fake history was in part one. That I remember. Was it? No, there was, yeah. there was okay. some explanation in two because similar to your experience, Ben. When I was a kid, sorry, Fabian. When I was a kid, I only read part one. That was all I had, and it mm-hmm. it blew my mind. So I only finished the story while we were reading it for this experience. Oh, that's cool. I know part one what has... Hey, what, what, what's the... Didn't you guys have a comic shop near you? I'm the one who grew up with newsstands and nothing but that, so I had a bicycle ride to three, four different kinds of newsstands half the time to track down issues of books. So, you guys didn't have comic shops near you? No, I totally had a comic shop, but I was picking these up as back issues, and uh, my shop oh, okay. didn't have these. Gotcha. I, was, I, I think I started reading New Warriors live, as it were, around issue 25. So I had to go okay. back and collect all the old issues. Um, which I did. I have every issue except for part two of Forever Yesterday. <laughs> the, the Deadpool part of me wants to chide you for missing out on the first two years. And, and the Captain America side of me thanks you for joining us and enjoying the book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, getting back to what we were talking about, you have in part one, it's the alternate history. It's like how the world is after the Sphinx has changed things. Part two is the one where it tells where uh, Sage the S-A-Y-G-E, 
tells why um, or tells the story of how things should be, the normal Marvel Universe story, mm-hmm. I think. If I got that all straight. There's a lot to it. Um, and yeah, there's of, a lot. It, uh, looking through the issues again, it, 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 man, we packed a lot into three issues for crying out loud. I mean, nowadays this would be a 24-part story. Yeah. Um, we, we, really, we really crammed a lot. I, I do think I remember asking Danny Fingeroff, the editor, if it could be four parts, but mm-hmm. um, he really wanted to keep things tight and he wanted to really shove a lot into every issue. Um, he... he he had a saying, which I still remember to this day, which is ironic, but in a lot of ways, it's a good thing. Don't forget to put the book in comic book. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he liked his words. He liked his captions. He liked his thought balloons. And, and, and as a result, as a writer, he made me really try to very uh, plot my books very, very densely, um, which was a challenge, especially because I was a relatively young writer. But, but in hindsight, I'm glad that he made me do that because I think it made me a better writer. Yeah. You kind of mentioned it here, and you wanted this to be a four-parter. It kind of struck me that this is like a big three-part epic that doesn't just have the new Warriors, but has versions of every character in the Marvel Universe. And you guys did it pretty early on in the run. Like, this is is the wrap-up of the first year of New Warriors. Was it challenging at all to... You know, get, I don't know how, how it worked back then as far as like getting permission from the other offices to use characters, but was it a tough sell to say we want to do this big epic story so early um, in the run? It, it wasn't a tough sell in the least because it was an alternate reality story, <laughs> so other editors don't really have a say in it. They, they, the Captain America editor can't deny uh, Danny from doing Captain Assyria. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, and the mutant editor was okay with it because it was an alternate version of his characters um and plus i mean i was in the office i worked in the office every day so all of these people were my coworkers and friends and it, it rarely ever became an issue quote unquote you know around the word issue <laughs> between between us it, we, we we tried to just maintain a, a freedom of movement for characters and 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 respecting who those characters were so that the editors wouldn't have a problem with it um you know and, and as far as doing it at the end of the first year it, Quite honestly, guys, it was it was a hundred percent completely strategically planned. Um, I had the first two years of the book uh, broken down pretty tightly in terms of what I wanted to do from the very beginning, um, and, and the first year was purposefully the culmination of uh, everything that I was trying to do with the book thematically, which was mm-hmm. characters who tried to confront the truth about themselves and about the world they lived in and tried to do something about that. Um, and, and to me, it was the perfect culmination of a lot of different things thematically for the book. Um, looking back at the story again now, I, I, I smiled because I remembered just how much I freaking loved working on this book back in the day <laughs> and, and how much I loved these characters. The, 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 issue, the, the three-part story really, really shores up and firms up the concept of these characters as friends um, th- th- having something they believe in. Uh, it was the culmination of my Nova is a Queen's jerk introduction to the, <laughs> uh, to the character because my, my goal all along was to evolve him beyond the rut he had fallen into, and this was the culmination of that, that rut. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. so, so a lot of things, because I looked at the issue afterwards, uh, issue 14 uh, as well, and I realized right off the bat all these subplots are starting to happen, which is, which is coming off of the results of this story. 
Um, so, so back in the day, we used to do subplots. I don't know if your your listeners know what those are. <laughs> and and one of the things I tried very hard to do was to try to juggle three or four subplots simultaneously. Uh, one being a long form arc, which in this case was a twelve issue arc with the Sphinx. Um, and I tried to pattern it after how Walt Simonson had done his work on Thor, which mm. always really impressed me. Um, and, and I tried to do a page or half a page or two pages, every issue building the Sphinx up to get to this point. Um, and, and so as a result, you can't, you can't draw that out too far. You know what I mean? So 12 issues seemed like the logical uh, point at which you, you should hit that long form subplot with a hammer and do it, you know? Um, and then I started the whole second arc for the second year, which was more focused on, on Night Thresher um, and, and his, the, you know, the truth about his, his origins and his family. Yeah, for sure. Talking about the Sphinx, it's kind of cool. The, the Sphinx at the time was not a villain that was in use, and really the original Sphinx had been used in the Nova series and then one appearance in Fantastic Four, and then he was kind of off the table. Where did you come up with the idea to bring back an incarnation of the Sphinx, and then also create your own new take on the character? Um, it, I, I, I know, I, know I, I remember specifically that I had to have a Sphinx in there <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, because of Nova. And, and Sphinx was Nova's big villain and, and, a, and a powerhouse who evolved beyond the Nova book to become a, a, you know, a threat to Fantastic Four and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I wanted to have a Sphinx in there, but I think, uh, I think Mark Grunwald might have said, let's not bring him back because he, it had been just too recent since he had been back or something like that. And, and, and I, as a result, I decided I wanted to do a twist on it and, and have someone else uh, usurp the powers and, and, and the woman doing that um, to, to developed in my head as, as, as the way to touch on a lot of themes of the book itself and the characters themselves, lost loves, lost opportunities, uh, do a flip side, make it, make it an adult who is an immortal <laughs> who looks back on a wasted life in her mind versus a group of young people who are looking forward in life and looking to opportunities to make a difference in the world. Um, so I thought that I thought there was a hook there that I could play with and, and it percolated as it went along, obviously, but, but I thought it came together pretty well in the three part story in terms of the reflective themes of the characters. Um, she, she played off well against them and, and the alternate world played into their individual themes and things like that. You mentioned Nova a couple times, uh, how you wanted to kind of bring him full circle and elevate him. It's cool because you have Nova as on this world, the Avengers are kind of under the Sphinx's thumb. They're composed mostly of uh, Egyptian-themed characters, so Thor becomes Horus, Captain America becomes Captain Assyria. But, but Nova is like the rookie on the Avengers team, and as a result, he becomes our point-of-view character. Um, he's kind of the lens by which we see this, this world, and he discovers everything about it, real and false. What, was, it, was it something where you knew the Sphinx was going to be the villain, so Nova had to be the point-of-view character, or was there another reason for putting him so far? Yes, yeah, it was, actually, it was actually a triangle. of, of the, the, you, build, you, you try to build stories, especially complex ones like this, and, and, and 
simplify the complexity, right? So mm -hmm. to me, the simplification of the complexity came between a triangle of Nova, the Sphinx, and Sage, because mm -hmm. Sage was a carryover character from the Nova book, and mm -hmm. Sage represented the truth, and the truth represented the real reality versus the fake reality. So putting Nova in the middle of all of that would allow me to elevate elevate an existing character. Um, sorry, guys, I think that's my phone ringing, but I'm ignoring it. Um, <laughs> it, it allows me to elevate an existing character. It, 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 um, it, it allows me, an existing New Warriors character, it allows me to draw from that character's continuity and past, and it gives me basically the fulcrum for which I can break my story down. And, and the story's not all Nova. There's a lot of other stuff going on in it. Jeez, there's a lot of other stuff going on in it. Yeah, for but, sure. But he became like the point of the arrow, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, and it was purposeful, too, because I knew that I was going to be pissing off a lot of old-time Nova fans. I knew that they'd be upset with the book for the first few issues. And they absolutely were upset with the first few issues. Um, and... and uh, but I also knew all along where I was going. I knew that I, I, I couldn't immediately get rid of the Kid Nova name or immediately get rid of the brown costume because mm. that, that's a bit of a slap at Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends who had, who had redeveloped him. And from a trademark standpoint, Marvel had usurped the Nova name for uh, uh, Frankie Ray, the character from Fantastic Four. So I felt I had to earn the name back. Um, so, th so this story was my chance to earn the name back because in issue 15, he's wearing the, the, the blue and gold variation of the costume again, and, and, and he's come out of his funk. So Nova readers saw the transition, they saw the arc, and they started to appreciate it and like it more. Um, so I want to go back for a second, and thinking about all the characters that show up, and you've got all these versions of different characters... Was there any break in the schedule? Because it seems like Mark had to redesign, like, I don't know, 50 characters for this arc? Yeah, he had to do a lot. Yeah. Well, well we cheated a bit, because if you notice, several of the characters have, um, have very similar designs. A lot of the mutant characters have um, beat-up clothing variations of their regular costumes. Um, and and the, the three parts, if you know, look, Mark, Mark is such a professional, it's ridiculous, quite honestly. Um, he, did, he did the book consecutively monthly. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, he, was, he started the Spider-Man monthly. He was doing a truckload of work. Um, this, he, anytime we talk about it, anytime he, someone asks him to sign these issues at conventions, all he does is complain about how much work it was. <laughs> he hated the three-part story because it was so much work. Um, and, and it was quite frankly a tremendous amount of work for him um i may have redesigned i may have redesigned some of the costumes um and, and given him uh, sketch drawings you, you ben knows that i've done that i did that in the past for a lot of different characters in the book um and he may have done variations of my sketches i honestly don't remember I do remember I sent him a lot of reference on Egypt stuff because this was pre-internet days, so you couldn't just Google <laughs> image 500 pictures. You actually right. had to call research and provide it to the artist. Uh, I know that I sent him a lot of Art Deco design stuff that, that, he, that I wanted him to use um, and create an Egyptian variation of that. But, but you flip through the three issues, and, and there's no doubt about it. It was a tremendous amount of, of work. Um, uh, I would love to see these issues like like with today's coloring standards. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, but but um, 
but you know, he, he didn't miss a beat guys. He just, he just drew the book. He drew the pages, no matter how much work it was to put on it. He just did it. Um, you know, he went straight from issue 10 to issue 11 and straight from issue 13 to issue 14. Um, I think Larry Moss said the anchor took a break. <laughs> issue 14 was inked <laughs> by somebody else, but Mark didn't take a break. <laughs> Well, Mark did all 25 issues that he was on the book. He, he did all of them. He never had a fill-in, right? No, he missed one issue. I think he missed 23 because oh. Chris Marinan drew that. And that was when um, he was doing Spider-Man and, and New Warriors at the same time. We already knew Mark was leaving at, with 25. He was right. doing Spider-Man and New Warriors at the same time, and Spider-Man was going to go bi-weekly because back then Marvel did certain titles went bi-weekly in the summer. And yep. Mark was going to do both bi-weekly issues of Spider-Man <laughs> and still try to do New Warriors. Um, but for the last couple issues of New Warriors, he was doing tight breakdowns, um, and, and Larry was finishing off of those tight breakdowns. But I'm, Got it. I, I remember Chris guest penciling one of the issues during the, uh, the Nothing But The Truth four-part story. Got it. One of the things I always loved about New Warriors, I mean, even as a kid that I appreciated, was it was a book that was about a lot of social issues. Like, you guys tackled drugs, you guys tackled gangs, you guys tackled the environment, all sorts of stuff. And that was all in the first 12 issues. And there's a lot of social stuff going on in this story in Forever Yesterday, looking at the mutants as disenfranchised, but also looking at how kind of the flip of Nova and the Caucasian people, they're, they're kind of the downtrodden, they're the lower class. Um, why why is, is it important to include these issues in this big alternate reality adventure thing, but also still come back to, you know, the underpinning social issues? Um, you know, it, it, it was a, a combination and a culmination, both. It was a combination of the fact that I, I was 29 years old when I pitched the book, mm -hmm. um, very passionate about politics and the social social justice and all that other stuff and i'm writing young characters who are teenagers who are very idealistic naive and passionate about issues as well the difference is they happen to have superpowers which means they can try to do things about that um so i tried to temper my my 29 30 year old semi-adult mind uh, <laughs> around the idea of a teenager having these passions combined with these powers and uh, luckily i wasn't so far removed that i couldn't I couldn't tap into that emotionally for myself, right? Um, and then, and then the, and that, so that's a combination of various characters who all have different, slightly different political viewpoints. Some of the characters were a little more conservative. Some of the characters were, were you know, a, a little more politically oriented. Some, like Nova, didn't could care less about stuff like that uh, initially. Um, and then the culmination is the ability to take a variety of things that you planted throughout the course of the first 12 issues, uh, develop your characters little by little so that you get a much better idea of what they feel and what they think. Mix that in with the standard mutant prejudices that existed in the Marvel Universe and what the mutant titles represented for the Marvel Universe. And then twist that a little more with the idea of uh, a societal ruling class, and I put ruling class in quotation marks, that was not Caucasian. This world was not settled by European settlers coming to the new world as it were it was it was settled by egyptian and middle eastern settlers coming to the new world so mm -hmm. it changed the dynamic and the structure of the entire planet you know so i had to i had to respect what that would mean i think that that we take a lot of things for granted historically uh being raised in a public school system and being taught as the status quo is what it is 
Um, but I immigrated from another country. I always like, I always call myself jokingly. I call myself tan. I'm not, I'm not white. I'm not black. I'm tan. Um, and I'm the descendant of European settlers in Argentina too, but still, um, it allows me a certain viewpoint that lets me try to, to get away with skirting around the minefield. You know, and, and I wanted to, I wanted to not overtly address the whole Caucasian uh, issue in this alternate universe. And I tried not to, for whatever limited talent I had back then at the time, I tried not to over, you know, hit it with too big a hammer. I just tried to make it a point of order that Nova was the only Caucasian on the Avengers team, and he had to think differently as a result of it uh, mm-hmm. ju- just like falcon was put on the avengers by henry peter Dyrick uh, as a as a affirmative action quota back in david michelini's run that then this had that same kind of a feeling to it and, and i thought that i thought that i could say little things about about life about people um reed richards works for Dwayne Taylor's father, you know, and, and, and he's one of the most brilliant minds on the planet Earth in the normal mainstream universe. And even if he is in this alternate universe, too, he still works for a, a CEO who is, you know, Egyptian-African, right? So mm-hmm. I thought that it was an interesting way to play with those themes without being too overt about it. And I probably failed miserably. That was probably so gallingly overt. <laughs> it was painful. No, I I actually dug it, and especially reading it now in the climate that we're in, right. um, there were a couple passages specifically that rang extra true right now. So I think he did a great job. Yeah, the sad part is that the issues like this just never go away, do they? You know, and there's a lot of stuff in this three part story that you could look at and go, hmm, okay, that's a twisted mirror on our own you know, on our own reality. It could be an episode of Black Mirror on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) How much fun was it to do the rewriting history, the stuff when Sage is showing Nova, the alternate history of the world? Because that always just struck me as just super fun. Uh, And the way you go all the way back to Moses is involved. I love that Moses is involved in this story. Um, He's a a crucial character. Um, But how much fun was doing all that? Um, It was a tremendous amount of fun when I did it. In hindsight, honestly, I can't believe that I that I had to take the time that I did take the time. In light of the fact that at that time, at the time of this writing, I think I was writing Alpha Flight. I think I was already scripting New Mutants. I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure. I think I was. Um, uh, and I had a full-time job at Marvel, <laughs> so so just just the just the amount of work I must have had to do for the history, you know, to try to to try to make it sound right. Back then, we just wanted it. It was pseudoscience, right? We didn't we didn't research to try to make it real like a lot of writers do now. But it's not real because it's a comic book and it's a comic book universe. I'm grinding my teeth when I say that. So we tried to do it. We tried to sell it. That's it. We had to sell you on the idea that this that this works. Um, you know, the ultimate nullifier works because Kirby <laughs> makes Reed Richards hold up this tiny little device that Galactus is afraid of. We don't really get into the details of why the ultimate nullifier works. That would be what Mark Grunwald would have tried to do. <laughs> but um, but but I tried to sell the history, and and I had the starting point. That you mentioned Moses. That came out of the the original Nova book. 
So I had the starting point for that whole thing. What if, what if the Sphinx had triumphed in that moment in front of the Pharaoh? That would have changed history, right? So, mm-hmm. so I, had, I had the moment that I can go back to that, that would then trigger the dominoes. And, and once, you top, once you start the domino thing, you can follow it and you can go, okay, this would have happened, this would have happened. And I tried to do it in, in, in multi-century arcs without getting into ridiculous detail. That's why I said this, this nowadays, this could be a 24-part story. <laughs> Four issues alone would have been spent on the history. <laughs> With, you talked about Nova and kind of the, the journey he's going on in this story, but we have a whole huge cast of characters, but centrally to the new warriors of it all, you have Marvel Boy, Firestar, and then later on in the arc, Night Thrasher. What were the stories you were trying to tell for them? Because obviously you wanted this story, you, like you said, this story got Nova to a specific place. But I think you were doing big stuff with those, the, that core four of the team and like kind of establishing them as the, the core unit of the team. So how, how are you approaching those other characters? Um, the, I wanted to do something with Marvel Boy and, and Firestar as mutants. Mm-hmm. because they really were separate from the Marvel's X universe of that time now. Um, so I wanted to do something with them interacting with the other mutant characters, make them see, make them see themselves the way that mainstream Marvel mutants see themselves on, a, on, an every, on a monthly basis, right? Mm-hmm. Vance and, and, and Angel didn't do that as much because they were in the Avengers world, you know? Um, right. Where everything is brighter and sunnier automatically. Same, yeah. same Earth, but the sun shines on one side of the block. Um, and, and I thought that this was an opportunity to have the two of them together because I'd already been developing, you know, the, the, the building of a relationship between them. They were both clearly and obviously attracted to each other. Um, and this was a chance to put the two of them together, have them interact with Marvel's mutants, have them face mutant-related issues, and by putting them together, you advance their and develop their relationship, their dynamic, their back-and-forth, and their byplay. So to me, that was a win-win. Um, Dwayne was the hardest one to fit in. I remember, I remember that being a definite challenge, and I knew I had to fit him in. And I was doing it for completely childish, selfish reasons, because in the very first issue of New Warriors, he has a thought balloon when Speedball and Neymarita joined the group in the first issue, and his thought balloon was, I was hoping for four, but okay. <laughs> and I threw that in there on purpose. And I've been asked by people... They were asking back then, and I always said, you'll see, you'll, you'll see if you can figure it out, okay? The reason Dwayne always wanted four is because he wanted a family, and to him, the Fantastic Four was a superhero family, so he wanted to create his own version of the Fantastic Four. Adding Neymarita and, and, uh, and Speedball to that dynamic throws him off a little bit, but, but I wanted to reflect at the end of the one year arc. I wanted to reflect specifically on, on, you know, for lack of a better term, the core four, you know, and, and and I had to, I almost had to shoehorn him into the story. I don't think he appeared till the second chapter. Um, and, and, and I wanted him to have to face tragedy again and him to have to find these people and, and, and him to have to confront some harsh truths about himself. But, but also realize within the context that it's these four that come out of the story together. So it's a little bit of an elevation and a maturation for all four of them. 
What did you consider the lasting consequences of Forever Yesterday on your New Warriors run? How did this influence things you did later? Because obviously the, the thing that stuck out to me is the Sphinx basically becomes the New Warriors villain, um, both Sphinxes. Um, and I know, you know, they would come back in the time and time again story, and they would always, every time the Sphinxes showed up, you knew it was something big. But what yeah, were... Yeah. What were the lasting consequences of Forever Yesterday on the remainder of your New Warriors run and on your career in general? Um, as far as the New Warriors run is concerned, I, I think that it really set in motion the, the, the dynamics of the characters more than the dynamics of the story plotting for the second year. Um, it, it, it really helped crystallize the, the, the group coming together as friends, as, as pseudo-family for each other um, in a really strong way. I think that it elevated Vance and Angel to actually start a relationship. It elevated Nova to, to rise above the rut he had fallen into and to, and to get over his, the, the, the chip on his shoulder and, and embrace once again the hero that, that he always was meant to be. Um, which is uh, yeah, that's, that's a sidebar, but in hindsight, I was always amazed at how how what, it was a really good book, the Nova the Nova Monthly book that Marv yeah. did, and he just vanished from the Marvel universe. They just totally. took him off the board for years. I mean, he was gone for ten years or more, I think, and, and it, it stuns me to this day that 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 the people doing comics in the 80s didn't think to themselves, we got something here that we're not using that we should be using. He always should have slid into Avengers or something. Um, so anyway, sidebar. Um, <laughs> and, and it allowed me, it allowed me to, to embrace the characters as a unit. It, it allowed me to elevate. Uh, Night Thresher became less, um, less abrasive and less caustic because he became a little more comfortable in his own skin. Um, all of that was planned on purpose too, because you know, I was going to drop a bomb on that a few issues later uh, to set up the whole, the whole history, you know, the whole truth about his mm-hmm. his origins. Um, so, so it really helped. It really helped define the concept of the book as as searching for the truth. Um, I wrote the original house ad copy line for the comic because I was I was Marvel's advertising manager, just so I had to right. add my, advertise my own book. And, <laughs> and the original copy line was. All they want to do is change the world. Yeah, I and, and I that. thought that was that was cute. I thought it was clever. I thought it was um, emblematic of what I wanted the book to be. The thing is, though, I had no idea how to answer that. <laughs> well, <laughs> how do they want to change the world? You know, what the first year did, and what Forever Yesterday did, is it really helped me hone the message of how they wanted to change the world, and that was by confronting the truth, by 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 being very open about about calling into question what what other people would prefer to ignore or deny or lie about so a lot of the stories i did after that became about confronting the truth whether it's the truth of oneself or whether it's the truth of 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 what someone else is putting out there you know um so so it helped in that regard as far as my career, <laughs> it was all downhill from there, baby. <laughs> uh, well, the, one last thing for me, uh, Ben and I were talking about this before we recorded, was at the end of the story, um, and spoilers for the listeners, if you haven't read it yet, shame on you, because we've been talking the hell out of this. Um, at the end of the story, Nova, with the cat, 
I got so angry and so upset about the yeah, whole you were scene, to. especially yeah. when the cat sort of, you know, like turns to yeah. dust and broke my heart because I'm a cat guy. So I appreciate that. I'm a, I'm a huge animal lover myself, and it wasn't easy to write that, but I thought that it was important for that the story to play that way the cat being the key i don't that certainly wasn't a part of the story going in i think it developed uh, as i was percolating it um and the tragedy of losing it was was, i wanted her to be a, a angry tragic villain um you could see her flaws and you could see her conflict and you could even sympathize with her a little so losing a cat is a great way to build a little bit of sympathy for her. Uh, I think it's great if you can add touches of humanity to your villains. Marvel, Marvel's, you know, Marvel's historically known for that, right? Um, and, and having Nova do that, I remember being an avid discussion in the editorial office with Danny because he was really uncomfortable about it. And I'm like, Danny, I'm really uncomfortable about it too. Nova is really uncomfortable about it. But... What are you going to do? You're trying to save a planet. <laughs> and and you, can, you can really rationalize your way uh, uh, around that as a reader, but think of it from the standpoint of the character and the responsibility the character has and the weight of burden the character feels. Then you have to put it in perspective and go, it's a freaking cat. <laughs> it's a cat against an entire planet, you know? Yeah, I, I just thought it was it was good. It was strong. It was a really powerful way to end that uh, her story for this arc. Thank you, and, and and it ended up being a great symbol, a great a great hook because uh, everything the symbol she built her own truths on was a lie, right? And then the lie the lie vanished as a result of the warrior's actions. So so she couldn't even lie to herself anymore after this story. Um, so yeah, it was pretty rough. That was that was pretty tough and rough on on the Sphinx. I mean, those are the questions I've have been building up for decades to ask you, Fabian. Thank you for answering them. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add, Ryan. No, no, this was this was great. I'm so glad we got to do this. Yeah, this was this is one of my favorite stories of all time. New Warriors is my favorite comic of all time. So, Fabian, thank, thank you for you, taking sir. the time to chat with us, but also thank you for New Warriors. I mean, it probably without it, I don't know if I would have would be doing what I'm doing today. So uh, that I appreciate that. that We've talked about it in the past, and it, it means a lot to me. It, it really does. Uh, I I see Warriors fans at every convention I go to uh, online. They talk to me all the time, and and we we were a very solid audience. Uh, it wasn't like we were a marginal book by any means. We we had a very solid following, mm-hmm. um, but you were always swimming against the stream of X Men books and Avengers books. So the fans who are fans of this book always feel like they're a part of a special club. Um, and, and I like to call it the smart kids club. <laughs> so so uh, I still enjoy talking to fans of the book all the time. I, I enjoy tremendously ignoring any of the reboots Marvel does, uh, since I'm not involved in any of them. <laughs> and I enjoy even more when they get canceled <laughs> because they're not being done. Oh, it's one key missing element from the original run. I couldn't imagine what that might be. Um, so, so it's always fun to talk about the book. Very cool. If people want to uh, get in touch, talk to you about it, how can they reach you on social media if, if, if people want to? Uh, they can reach me through Facebook else? at any time, or they can reach me on Twitter, uh, at Fabian Niciesa on Twitter. No problem either way. I love talking to the fans about it. Very cool. Fabian, thank you again so much. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate the time. Questions and comments. Questions and comments. Questions and comments from you.
All right. What a chat. What a chat we had. Wow. 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 That was a lot of fun. We, was, uh, we need to do that more often. Yeah. Um, you guys who are listening, let us know what you think of uh, us having the creators on. Mm-hmm. We think it's great. Yeah. Want to make sure you guys like it too. Yeah. If you guys think it's terrible, then, you know. Too bad. It's too bad. This, this is what we're doing from now yeah. on. No. Um, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get that more, at least try to get, like, an editor or someone involved mm-hmm. if we can't make it work with the creators because I think they – I mean, like, I had no idea Fabe was on uh, on the staff. Yeah. Know? I just, yeah, I yeah, just yeah. Didn't He know. worked in promotions. It's crazy. For years. Uh, he's got a very interesting story. He's an interesting dude. Yeah, and he's great. He's, he's great. like His stories were amazing. Yeah. Um, we should have him back on when we eventually do Executioner's Song. Oh, my God, yes. Because he wrote half of that story. Really? He wrote two books Think at the about time? it. He wrote X-Men and he wrote X-Force. You know what? Yeah. Possibly the greatest writer of, of our... The greatest writer of any generation. Of yeah. yeah. He's the best. Wow. So, do you have any thoughts you wanted to share on Forever Yesterday before we dive into questions and comments? I think we covered a lot of it. Yeah, I think we on, did too. You know, like, because a lot of the stuff that you brought up, we had already talked about, and I think we share. Um, I just, I loved... I love the costumes. That's and the, the best looks. part. And and there's actually a tweet in here that talks about Cyclops. Yeah, because I definitely want to get into Cyclops. <laughs> I w- I would love to get Bagley to like unpack Cyclops in the story because I love it so much. <laughs> He's got that weird long ponytail <laughs> and the the glorious mustache. The I mean, he must- looks he looks like his dad. Yes, looks yes. like Corsair. Hundred percent. And that's actually what someone says. Oh, really? It's great. Okay. Uh, it's it's not just the costumes on the superheroes though. It's like the buildings yeah. and just the normal clothes that like Rich Rider's family is wearing. I know. It's so pervasive that really like Bagley who. Fabian already rightly heaped so much praise on for all the work he was doing, you know, for doing that. Well, he was also doing Spider-Man. Well, he was also doing all the costume design. But just the fact that he he just basically created this whole world from out of nothing was astounding. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Legendary. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in now to the questions and comments about New Warriors Forever Yesterday. Uh, now we'll start with yeah. DJ Fanko. Uh, he says it was only a matter of time before Twim URC delved into the classic Bagley Nicieza. 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 He said it and I was like, yeah. I'm going to remember it. Nope. Nope. Nicieza run of New Warriors. Forever Yesterday was legit. Yeah. Once I joined Claremont's X-Men cavalcade of titles, New Warriors was the first title I seriously followed. I know it's pretty much the same thing for me. Like, mm. I read X-Men first and then New Warriors not long after. I don't know why. There was just something about Interesting. the art style and the colorful characters. I was just like, oh, this is the next logical book for me to read. And it, for me, I never went to New mm. For whatever reason, I didn't get into New Warriors, except for the, the one issue of this story that I've ha- I probably still have in one of my few long boxes. I, I don't know why I never It's dug seriously in. the first fifty issues are just amazing. They're all Fabian writes all fifty of them. Uh Bagley's the first twenty five issues, Derek Robertson's the second twenty five oh issues. And it's like early Derek Robertson, but he gets so good yeah. midway through. Um it's great stuff. I have the omnibus <laughs> if you want to borrow. <laughs> we put out an omnibus? Yeah, we have a new Warriors omnibus. It's Hell like yeah. the first at least 25 issues. That's great. Because um, they're not all on Unlimited yet. Yeah. Yet. Yet. Uh, yeah, I, I was looking at Unlimited. We have the first 17 mm-hmm. and then like a couple towards the end. I, yeah, some random like Scarlet Spider stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. was on the team for a second. Yep. 
Anyway, back to Don. DJ Fanko says, I'm pretty sure New Warriors 11 was the first comic I got with any form of the Avengers. Mm. Hashtag context is everything. Yeah, if, if that's what your exposure to the Avengers was. That's pretty cool, though. Like, for Horus, Captain Assyria, yeah. Scepter. I wish we had had them in Secret Wars. That would <sighs> yeah, so that cool. have been better. Oh, well. Uh, he says, you know it was the 90s because Wolverine was the best at what he did, and what he did was make guest appearances. I like how they use Wolverine Oh, a my lot. God. Totally. And that I think that was part of the reason why I got that issue. Sure. Because Wolverine on was on the cover. I was like, I love Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I will buy anything with Wolverine. And then he got killed, which I was like, how is that possible? Yeah, right away, too. Yeah. He's gone within the first few pages. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it it lets you know that the stakes are high in this story, mm-hmm. that this is a reality where anything can happen, where literally the most popular character in Marvel yep. can be snuffed out in like three pages. Totally. Don says, in an earlier arc, they got punished by Frank Castle and Terax was not too far away from forcing the Fantastic Four to intervene. There's a great cover, like three or four issues after this mm-hmm. with Nova and Thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, from New Warriors. Don't Call Me Kid. Yeah, cover. it was like Nova's chewing bubble gum yep. and Thing's smoking a cigar and they've got these giant guns that are yeah, about to awesome. fight Terax. Yeah. So good. This was like as good as the first 12 issues of New Warriors were. The second 12 issues, they just, they're locked in. Yeah. They have guest stars. They have cool stuff happening every issue. Yeah. Don says, as interesting as this alternate reality is, it was pretty par for the guest appearances that dominated New Warriors. It's true. New Warriors was a book with a lot of guest appearances, and I think Fabian kind of covered that a little in that it was not a top-selling title by any means, so they would really use, they'd utilize the Marvel Universe and like really explore uh, these characters' place in it. Yeah. He says, the myriad of guest appearances made the New Warriors series feel rooted in the Marvel Universe of the day. Forever Yesterday seemed more like a cross-team event that channeled Days of Future Past in three issues. I mean, it channeled it in so, even to the point where the first page of the story, it says Days, days of, of Present Past. Yeah, Days of Present Past. And I, I that all, and like the look of just the way that that panel, that first page is mm-hmm. set up, reminds you of yeah. Days of Future Past. And the way Wolverine goes down yeah. is reminiscent of, the, definitely sure. an homage to Days of Future Past. Yep. Um, he says, not counting the prologue that seemed like a very random epilogue in issue 10. Well, that's like one panel because uh, I did look at that. I wanted okay. to see if there was any setup. So it's it's really like introducing the Sphinx yeah. and, and her like changing everything. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's in the, like Fabian said, she's in the background of the first like 11 issues. Oh, so she shows up even previously. Yeah, she's oh, she's going around like looking for the costume. Got it. And then on in issue 10, it, she finds it on the last Got panel. It. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. He says, I love how the core issues start in media res. I enjoy the Assyrian designs, especially the Thor equivalent Horus. Yeah, those designs are so good. Horus is the dopest. Yeah. He, I think, showed up in Avengers Forever. Oh, did he? He's like, you know, when they bring in like a million different Avengers yeah, yeah, from yeah. all the different places. I think Horus and Captain Assyria are in there somewhere. That's great. I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, and finally, Don says, everything felt very well put together. I'm sure Bagley had a fantastic time <laughs> conjuring up reimagined designs well, for this. Well, we understand. He had a, he had a time of it, but... <laughs> worked little, his butt off as usual. a lot of work, you know? Yeah. All right. Luke Hunsacker says, can we talk about Scott Summers' dashing Corsair-esque mustache and the ponytail? Hell yeah, Luke. Does Cyclops even get a line? 
Nope. He's he literally doesn't. I'm he is a, sure. that creepy smile on his face, too. Yeah. But like he's in this post apocalyptic like, world, he's very he's satisfied. Way low on the totem pole. Now. Oh, yeah. Like Magnus, which is another thing. Like yeah. Magneto has been called Magnus, but like that's what they call him. Mm-hmm. Like Juggernaut is like, hey, Magnus, 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 Magnus. My one nitpick that I was when I read the second issue mm. is they go through that force field that's supposed to be keeping the mutants out. Yeah. And Juggernaut gets like singed by it. And I'm like, I guess in this reality, they're just saying Juggernaut's a mutant, but so the way I took it yes, was that he was too slow. Mm-hmm. So the mutants got through, and then he passed. He was so they were like, "Quick, we have to get through before it's it, yeah. it, it's back up at full strength or whatever." So he goes through when it's back to normal, okay. and because he's not mutant, he just gets messed up. Yeah, he doesn't, doesn't get, get killed. Killed. Okay. That I was the way that. I read it because I was I like, okay, that. cool. Like, I, I, I dig it. But the, yeah, like just the fact that they emphasize they're like, oh yeah, it's attuned to a mutagenic field or some junk like that. Yeah. And I was like, he's no mutant. Yeah, Whatever. but like, you know, he's like, I've always it's hung fun. out with mutants. Yeah. He's like, that's my thing, guys. Yeah. We've always been close friends. Yeah, no. or enemies. Enemies. Mario Harold says, I thought you were referring to the 2014 team until I saw Ben Morse's most recent tweets, mainly because of Haichi appearing in TV. Is that one of the new New Warriors? Was that on Shield or something? I don't know. Oh. If if so, it passed me by. Yeah, me too. I guess I missed that. But about Forever Yesterday, is there a story behind Tom DeFalco's credits as King Tut, Pharaoh, and Pyramid? <laughs> well, he was editor-in-chief. He was editor-in-chief. So um, they just, you know, like, it's, you know. These fun nicknames. Yeah. Every, um, there's, you know, like. If you look at the current issues of Deadpool, when they do the 2099s, mm-hmm. everyone gets a 2099 name. Yep. It's all like Jerry Duggan 2099 yeah. or whomever 2099. I think, you know, messing with people in credits is always – it's just always part fun. of the Marvel fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, why is Veritas, the sage, so interested in the Sphinx's fate? Is he it a cosmic being? I actually meant to ask um, Fabian more about sage. Because he said he came from the old Nova series, but I have every issue of the old Nova series, and I don't remember reading about Sage at all. So I, had, I always thought he was a New Warriors guy. I literally had no idea who this character was. Yeah. And I did – that's something we should have talked about because yeah. I didn't know anything about the character. Did he – did the Sage keep showing up in New Warriors? He, yeah, he would come back every time the Sphinxes came back. Ah. He would be there. Was there a resolution by the end of the series? They don't, or? like, they don't like pull off the robe and, like, it's – Nova's dad or something. No, it's just like <laughs> he just he just stays mysterious and stuff. We got to talk to someone at editorial to bring back Sage. Sage, yeah, Sage yeah. is a great character. Bring back Sage just on its own for like a year, yeah, as like a portent, and then the Sphinx comes back. And the Sphinx and it's like, comes back. And then it's forever yesterday too. Yes, that would be amazing. Yesterday's forever again. Yesterday, <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow, forever, yeah. forever, tomorrow, forever, someday. <laughs> um, also, now that Richard Ryder is back, is there a chance we may see the Sphinx again? I think with Rich Ryder back in an ongoing series. There is definitely we should see the Sphinx again. Um, he's 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 Rich Rider's Doctor Doom, so so it makes sense. What happened to the female Sphinx? The female Sphinx. All right, so they they come back uh, around issue fifty in the story called that I talked to I mentioned with Fabian called Time and Time Again, right? Uh, where the male Sphinx comes back and he gets his powers back and he tricks the female Sphinx into giving her 
um, her him her powers as well. And so basically, she goes to the New Warriors. She's like, "We got to stop the Sphinx. He's out of control." Um, he sends all the New Warriors back in time to different places, so they have to recruit a new New Warriors, Ooh. Um, which is like Dagger and Alex Power and Darkhawk, all these random characters, um, and they all fight the Sphinx. And at the end, the two Sphinxes merge together into one. Like not quite male, not quite female, uh, thing. Very, I don't know what you call that. Androgynous. Yeah, androgynous. Perfect. I I couldn't find the word. So it's this androgynous oh. sphinx, and that sphinx would show up like one or two more times in New Warriors, and then when they did the Eric Larson Nova series, sphinx just showed up as the guy again with no. I don't think there was any explanation. He's just it. the dude again. So the female sphinx like has kind of come and gone. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Now we know. Now you know. All right. Penelope Gat says, the last time the West Coast did Twin Mercy, they attributed all my comments to someone else. Classic Stromy. Damn it, Stromy. Well, <laughs> sorry. You should have a show called Damn It, Stromy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, you can be the angry neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be great. Uh, Penelope Gat says, always happy to read classic New Warrior stuff for Twin Mercy. I remember reading the book for a while when it came out, but not a lot else. Because my memories of the book are so hazy, I had a bit of trouble getting into this alternate history arc. It's hard to appreciate the differences in the alternate history when you aren't sure what the normal status quo is. I would disagree with that mm. simply because, I mean, that's like my, like, as someone who read What If all the time, like, automatic, I could jump into any alternate history story and just eat it up like it's a big old sandwich. Big old sandwich. Penelope says, this felt uh, like a well-thought-out alternative take on things with all the sources for the changes clearly and logically explained. I really like the notion of an African-dominated world with white people as a minority. Yeah, to me, I talked to Fabian about that when we talked to him, but that was such a big thing for me as a kid that I was just like, what what does this mean? What is all this? Like, white people, they even reference when they're doing the fake history of the world, they talk about, like, white slavery coming to an end as a result of the Civil War. And I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. It really made you think. Penelope Katz says, I feel like in today's world, too many loud people act like it's obvious that things should be the other way. Hmm. I did find myself wondering about the appropriateness of the Af- Afrocentric version of history being the wrong one, though. I would agree with that. Mm. I would, the way it was like, oh, we have to change it back. Yeah. It was like, but wha- what makes this or that any better or worse? Yeah, that was the thing. I always, that was the thing I always got about for every essay is I get they want to turn it back to the way the world is, quote unquote, supposed to be. But it isn't the only things that have really gone horribly awry is that they're on like the verge of World War Three, uh, which is a pretty big thing. <laughs> and I mean, uh, when aren't we? And they lost and they, you know, like thousands of people died that they also, you know, they reverse the A-bomb thing where the A-bomb gets dropped on like Connecticut as opposed to True. Connecticut really takes a beating in Marvel yeah. comics. Poor Connecticut. Eh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, Definitely, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with you, Penelope Cat. It was, it's so, you know, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily yeah. think I would call it the wrong one. I would love to see more of, like, this universe. I would love a Forever Yesterday limited series by Fabian Isaiza and Mark Bagley. Yeah, sure. Let's see it. Let's take it. Um, let's see. Uh, Penelope Cat says, I also had some trouble following all the changes to history, but that's because I'm not so familiar with classic Nova history. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fortunately, fortunately, it looks like a bunch of early Nova has been added to Unlimited, so I can rectify that. Yeah, like Fabian said, that first 25-issue Nova series, uh, written by Marv Wolfman, art by John Buscema, and then 
Um, I forget who does the later issues, but they're also very good. Um, it's it's a really good book. It's it's uh, just full of great ideas and cool villains and weird stuff. Diamond Head. Yeah, Carmine Infantino. Carmine Infantino draws wow. the second half. So <laughs> okay, yeah, it's pretty has a pretty good pedigree. That's great. Uh, all right. Penelope Cat says, I can't follow the writing of the characters. Everyone had a distinct voice, and I could follow the action without any problems. I will never have anything bad to say about Mark Bagley. I remember when he won the Marvel mm. tryout book contest back in the day. What a what a lucky... 30-odd years ago. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. Uh, I've been a fan of his ever since. I finally got to meet him at a con a couple of years ago, and he was as nice as he is talented. Absolutely. And Very he nice has guy. as awesome a, ma- a mustache as he is talented. Yeah, great mustache. Uh, Penelope Cat says, it's been so long, I can't even remember if I read the story when it was published or if I had dropped the book by then. While I might have felt a bit at sea reading this, it was it has whet my appetite for more New Warriors. Gotta see what's on Unlimited. Yeah, we gotta get them to put up more New Warriors. I mean, you get a good 17 issues of the Nicieza Bagley run, mm-hmm. which is a good start. Yes. Um, Yells at Hearts, or Z-V-I-L-T-V, <laughs> uh, or something like that, says, interesting that Sage didn't say why the real world was better than the Sphinx alternate, except calling it true. I think that's what we're hitting on. It's yeah. not necessarily a better world. It's just the quote-unquote true the world. The world that they've come from yeah. that has been changed. But they're unaware of this at first yeah. until Nova kind of knows. I like how Nova has little things like calling uh, Marvel Boy and – uh, Firestar by their nicknames and stuff like that and that's yeah. the indication that he's starting to get it back yeah. that was cool very interesting that the authorities get flipped white to brown but the mutants stay white in this alternative yeah that was I mean mm. that kind of tied in with the fact that the mutants were the oppressed people so they got looped in with uh, with that group I was quite cross to find out this whole situation was caused by a lady obsessing over a dude she barely met why couldn't she want to rule the world on her own account fair point totally fair fair point TBRH, what's that? To be really honest. To be really honest, as someone who's been reading comics for five, for less than five years, I'm really glad I didn't see this book earlier. It's the kind of faux woke that would have put me off. Faux woke. I've never heard that use of woke. That's uh, and that's how we end our questions and comments. No, I, I, so, think, yeah, no, I think that's are all fair, fair, points, like, fair points. Someone and it's it's good to see to hear like a perspective of someone who's new to comics and reading this story because. It is, it is very much like a like more hardcore. Oh, for sure. Yeah, this but that's it's also of like nineteen ninety two, three about ninety two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah, I, I can only imagine when we get to executioner song, oh my God. like the 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 kind of like what is this kind of so comment, which is okay. Song. Um, and guys, we will get to executioner yes, song eventually. Soon. Those. Jerks will get the books on Unlimited first. Are they still not on Unlimited? Only, I think only half of them. Uh, we have the trade. No, we. It's Unlimited <laughs> Reading Club. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Well, well speaking of Unlimited Reading Club, uh, next time is going to be the West Coast turn, and Strami and Christine have selected the first six issues of X-Men Legacy, starring Legion. So we'll get those up as soon as possible, and you guys can interact with them in two weeks. Yeah, very exciting. Those books are terrific. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. We did it. Yeah, this was fun. This was a really good uh, Unlimited Reading Club. Maybe my favorite one. Awesome. So there you go. Great. Um, hopefully I'll be back next week we'll on see. this show. Who knows? I we'll may see. be travel. I mean, I'm traveling. I don't know where this is going to happen. All right. We'll figure it Great. out. Great. This is Marvel, your universe. <laughs> Thank you.
Yeah!